Hello, and welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast, and I am your co-host, Neve, and I'm joined by your other co-host, Connor. Hey. Uh, and also, we're on the <laughs> X4 Audio Network. Sometimes I forget to say that. I like saying it in the little intro, though. Um, today, we are covering episodes 20 through 26 of Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex Second Gig. Uh, we, we are wrapping Second Gig here. We will still have... Solid State Society to go. So we're not fully done yet, but we're done with second gig. Um, and I'm sure we'll have no feelings whatsoever about it. Yeah, it's pretty, you know, pretty straightforward. Um, yeah. Um, just as a note for people listening at home, I think this is like useful to, to just know. Um, I watched through second gig and we were going to record, uh, but I had COVID, um, and, uh, your girlfriend moved in. Right. So we decided to postpone, but until your, until your COVID was cured by Starlight Coca-Cola. Yes. Um, but what then happened was, so I think it got like, I forget exactly how it ended up being postponed till after. So we were supposed to record it two weeks before when we recorded Ghost in the Shell, I believe, right? Yeah. The, the and movie. now, yeah, the the 1995 movie. It got moved to um, here, which is after that. It's in between when we did the 1995 movie and then Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence. Also, for all of you listening at home, you already know our fun little April Fool's Day thing that we did where we watched the 2017 Ghost in the Shell, and so that's why I specified there. <laughs> uh, we're going to watch that after... Um, we're going to watch it right after we do Innocence, and then actually we are, after that, going to watch Solid State Society. So we've got like a little bit of gap in there. That's um, actually a great... Uh, Solid State Society. Yeah, I'm actually... The, the way that that works out is great because solid state society might actually be an upgrade at that point. Yeah. Like, so we can actually enjoy that movie more than we might otherwise going from like all the other media to that. Yeah. I, I think it's also the, it's the best shake that we can give. Like, I feel like seeing the 2017 ghost in the show before we go into solid state society is just going to prime us again, at least me to be more in the mindset that I am when I finish second gig, you know, mm-hmm. I think that probably the end of second gig is still going to be better than that movie. I'm sure we'll still, we'll still have an interesting conversation about that movie, but just to like, if, if I was coming right off of 1995 and Innocence, I would probably be more just like, yeah, it, whatever. It was more second gig, which I'm, is I'm kind pick, of how I'm, I currently feel and, and remember Solid State Society. But maybe I'll come back to it after seeing the 2017 one and be like, man, it's nice to be back in Standalone Complex, even if I was more down on second gig than I am on the first season. So by, you know? by virtue of you comparing the 2017 film to the end of second gig, like I take it that you're not so so hot on the end of second gig. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen the 2017 film. I still have not oh, seen okay. it. Okay. Um, no, well, so, neither have I. I just assume the worst. But I do know, like, I'm assuming the worst for 2017. I know that I like Innocence. I am not as high on the end of second gig as I am on Innocence. So, like, that's where I'm okay. in, in all yeah. this. 
I mean, I'm, before we get into the actual episodes, what was your like? How did you feel about the end of the series? Did it did it feel like it worked for you? That's hard to say. I think um, it's. I'm not disappointed in the sense of like. I think second gig does a lot of interesting stuff. Um, that like, there's a lot to unravel and there's, there's a lot of like richness, um, in some of like just the, the number of like themes that are at play and the stakes and like so on and so forth. Um, and I think the, like the end of it, um, like, I don't know if it, it leaves a lot of it unresolved in a way that is like kind of um, messy, but like open. Um, yeah. So there's there's a lot to like grab onto and think about um, in terms of just like storytelling. Um, is it like a satisfactory ending? Uh, I think that's maybe like a little bit of a different conversation. <laughs> um, yeah but from like an analytical I, standpoint i i'm like i'm very intrigued by like a lot of what happens um, yeah yeah i i feel like i feel like first the first season of say Alone complex it does a, a good job um in my mind of like so much of it is just like procedural case of the week and towards the end, everything starts getting tied together. All of the themes get brought together in this way that feels there are still like incompleteness. There are still questions. And yet there's like a clearer sense of resolution in what has happened. Um, and I think also like a clearer cohesion. Mm-hmm. And for me, second gig, I think, and I'll, we'll talk about this as we like get into the episodes. We should do the synopses soon. But I think that, like, there's stuff that we've already talked about in terms of second gig and around how they're handling the Major's character that continues here and that I think, for me, feels like an actual misunderstanding of how I understand the character, how I think the character was in lots of other media, including the first season. And there are, like, ways that those are, like, interesting and complicated. But it gets, like, folded into this um, not-well-done kind of romance thing and like you know if when people go and listen to the post ed thing like i'm just like fully on nana right now i fucking love romance stuff it's not like i think that romance in anime is bad or something but like this idea that like the thing that would like fully tempt the major and everything would be like this crush on a boy that she had as a kid feels like it is missing so much of what is interesting about that character that you could actually play with as like, why would the major like potentially be doing this radical thing that is like part of what a revolutionary person is doing. There's far more interesting things to do rather than she loved a boy when she was like six, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's like far more like tied into the actual thematic stuff that like ghost in the shell has been talking about not only in standalone complex, but like broadly. Um, yeah, I, that's one of the things that, um, like, I agree. There's like, I think more 
like at least in explicit terms like there's so many questions and like themes that are being weighed and then just like thrown into these entanglements that are not like like result like resolved clearly or necessarily cohesively and it kind of just feels like a grab bag of like what the fuck is even happening with this theme um, yeah and i think like the the stuff well, with Cousay and the major is like kind of in that same space where it's like i have ideas about about how i think this is working but yeah you can't like at the same time the like romance angle is like it, it is presented right like and insisted on at like various moments and whether that is like where it finally sits down at the end i don't know um but there, it is like there and it, like imbricated with all there, the other there's stuff. also a, a thing we should get into the synopsis and, and i'll yeah. talk about this more but there's like sure. there's a strange like misogynistic bend i think in the way that some of the romance stuff is handled as well that also ties into like the way that virginity get, gets brought up in a way that's kind of gross here mm-hmm. too. But let's get into the synopses. We'll start breaking stuff down. I have yet to look at any of your notes. Um, okay, since my we're notes doing, are a mess for this. Yeah, since since my notes, I never even put in this document. I still just have in like a paper thing. But some of it too is just like I. We'll just talk, and I'll remember stuff as Connor talks. It's been a while since I've watched this, but I'll remember it. We'll do the synopses. Connor will talk about stuff. I'll know what's what I know. I'll know how I feel. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, okay. Do you want me to start? Um, let's, let's, uh, I'm just like trying to remember. Yeah, you can start. I have no, I have no particular that you want me to read. Um, I mean, all of these are just ones that I pulled from Wikipedia as I've been doing it this season. Um, yeah, you didn't sneak they are any extensive. like digs at me that no. you would, would want me to read um, the real thing I w- was thinking was like do I want to just be the one to read episode 26 but um, which I think would mean that I would have to start it but it doesn't matter okay well they're then, not they're not gonna put the part in here of like Bato carries a cross and they <laughs> hold apples and go to bite and gosh isn't it so biblical <laughs> yeah yeah, you, um, uh, which is what yeah. I would put, but um, <laughs> yeah, you can start. You can go ahead and start. Yeah, I know how you love that Christological yeah. imagery. Um, okay, so uh, episode twenty. Uh, it's an individual episode. Is it? Is it individual or is it individual? Oh, these might be individual. I may have just fucked up the. Let me you double use... check this real quick. Okay, let me double check this. Uh, if I do list of Ghost in the Shell standalone complex episodes and just scroll back down, episode 20 is, and then I can do this while you're reading. It is an individual. Individual. Okay. Just making sure. Um, so yeah, the title is Confusion at the North End or Fabricate Fog. Um, section 9 regroups from the firefight um, at the end of episode 19. Um, and the body of their dead teammate, who will go unnamed in this synopsis, is airlifted out of Dejima. Desperate for information on where Kuze's plutonium deal would go down, Aramaki pulls some strings and learns that the probable location for such an act would be Etor- Etorofu Island. Section 9 is dispatched to the island with the objective of stopping the deal, 
while a request is formally made for a Japanese maritime self-defense force security net to catch Kuzei if he happen if he happens to evade capture. On the way to the island, Kusanagi explains that Kuzei is very rapidly rising to power and may eventually become a dictator of sorts if he's not stopped soon. Um, not I don't really think that's what she flat. says. She yeah, that's not at they're all. They're like what, she's basically putting forth a, a great man of history, um, like perspective of like Kuzei could become a great man of history, um, and they're like, oh, you mean like Hitler or like these other dictators? And she's like, well, ideologically probably more like. You know, MLK or Gandhi. Yeah, MLK or Gandhi, which is very different. It's not saying he could become a dictator of sorts. <laughs> right. Yeah, this this sentence is completely incorrect. <laughs> yeah. Um, on the way to the island, Kusanagi talks about Kuzei and his relationship to the refugees and like like the, like historical manifestations yeah. of like leadership and authority. Yeah, the great uh, man of of history as like a a way of con- thinking about history that is, you know, a certain like political and and um ideological way of thinking about history that like can be challenged and thought about in different ways. But like that yeah. great man of history model is not like great men are dictators. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And I it's think like also- far more you know, Edison is a great man of history. Yeah. Sadly, I, Elon Musk is a great man of history. No, he's not. Fuck Elon Musk. Um, I'm not even, I won't even go that far. Elon Musk thinks he's a great man of history. He's going to be in history books, Connor. Well, I, I hope he is in history books for an exceedingly comical death. Um, <laughs> and then the, everything else is not really noted highly. Um, so, uh, anyway, um, yeah. And I think the great man of history, like, I think you're right that it kind of, um, it's at play here. Um, I think there's ways that like the series is complicating it even in this, like, yeah. um, in, in this formulation, but anyway, yeah. um, but, but what she is putting forward is like, he is a great man of history, not a dictator. <laughs> right. I, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's things some, get like, complicated from there. But saying he may become a dictator is just like you don't understand any. What the fuck? Anyway, yeah. um. So then <laughs> she further explains that the refugees can see and feel what he experiences in real time, which helps him win them over. Um. We know this is like them linking to his, um, to his cyber brain or like his ghost or whatever. Yeah. Um. Upon arriving in Etorofu. Section 9 splits into into three units. Bato, Saito, and Tutachikomas head to an abandoned Russian submarine base believed to be the site of the deal. Togusa and the Major go to see a man named Krolden, who has helped Kusanagi in the past, and the rest of the team remains with the tilt rotor. Kusanagi discovers that Krolden has been killed by an attack barrier after diving and hacking into something he should not have seen, which I think is the inside of Goda's head. Um... And when she calls up the records of his dive, she discovers a plan by the Russian mafia to sell plutonium to the refugees for 340 million yen. Uh, Kusanagi also uncovers evidence that the evil sis may be pulling the strings behind the deal. Armed with this information, Section 9 sets out to stop the deal. Uh, meanwhile, one of the refugees aboard the boat confronts Kusei over the death of Densetsu, a rapper who served as an inspirational figure to the refugees uh, at the hands of the individual eleven. The man intends to detonate a suicide bomb. He is strapped to his body, which will kill Kuzei and sink the ship. Um, introducing the theme of suicide bombings 
and martyrdom, uh, which will become uh, one of the like hundred themes that is in the mix here. Yeah, I um, mean, it also came up a little bit in that one where um, I remember for the part that's the most like viscerally disturbing to me, which is when Bato rips the detonator out of the girl's tooth. But um, yep. yeah, yeah, it also yeah, comes so up it's, there. True, and and with the like individual eleven. Um, and and he is specifically a follower of the the like individual here. loving guy who um yeah who who was like also i think leading those suicide bombings yeah uh, yeah there's like context here that is not fully expounded but like densetsu yeah. apparently advocated for like suicide bombings and he was like a follower of densetsu and yada yada um, so he's threatening to kill Kuze and sink the ship unless Kuze can explain the purpose um, for everything he's doing. Uh, Kuze explains his plan and ultimately wins over the young man. Um, but when he leaves to conduct the plutonium deal, his group of refugees become involved in a three-way firefight with two uh, SDA-issued armored suits and Section 9's tachikomas. Bato catches up to Kuze, and the episode ends with him ho- holding Kuze at gunpoint, um, setting the stage for it. Uh, a great macho duel. Yeah. Um. So episode twenty-one, an individual episode, escape and defeat, embarrassment. It is this being yeah, this being Bato's embarrassment, and also kind of section nines in general. But Bato's the first to get embarrassed. So Bato confronts Kuze in an effort to stop him from leaving with the plutonium, but Kuze disables Bato's right leg and left arm in a fight, putting Bato out of commission so he can escape. He also drives a like metal pole through Bato's body, but yeah, um, we can we can like if 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 I wanted to, we could talk about like phallic imagery and symbolic castration, um, <laughs> but we're not going to. Yeah, but we could just know that. <laughs> If you listeners ever go out of line, it'll just be all phallic imagery and, and symbolic castration. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, when Kusanagi arrives at the scene, she and the Tachikoma uh, uh, assigned to her destroy the other GSDA combat suit and manage to locate Bato, who informs them that Kuze has gotten away. Kusanagi and her Tachikoma race after Kuze and in the process meet up with Saito and his Tachikoma. Uh, together, they head to the harbor in an attempt to stop the fishing trawler from leaving, but the refugees provide cover fire for Kuze and manage to keep Section 9 at bay long enough for the trawler to escape from the harbor and make it out to sea. Section 9 regroups at the top of the hidden sub-base to wait for the tilt rotor to arrive, but when the aircraft sets down to retrieve the team, the suicide bomber who came with uh, Kuze, that one that who, like, previous episode we talked about uh gains access yeah he runs out with the vest um it says gain access gains access to the tilt rotor he just like runs on (laughs) yeah that's a funny way of saying he just like runs over to it um and detonates the bomb which destroys the aircraft kills two more um nameless section nine people and seriously injures ishikawa uh none of the main team is ever seriously threatened um like in a in a way where actual loss is on the table. But anyway, the loss of the tilt rotor removes any chance of Section 9 pursuing Kuze, so the team shifts its focus to getting medical attention for their wounded comrades. Kusanagi and the remaining Section 9 members attempt to retrieve data on the plutonium purchased by accessing Sagawa's records. 
only to discover that the records have been deleted. Uh, Taking all of this into account, Aramaki and Kusanagi outline a hypothesis uh, that has the evil cis pulling the strings behind the plutonium deal. Uh, and further speculate that Kuze may not have acquired the plutonium when he wanted from the Russians after all. This is oh, also yeah, that's confirmed. an important detail. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, this, this happens later. Sorry. Yeah. Um, in the midst of this briefing, Section 9 receives word that the Coast Guard Nat has spotted Kuze's boat attempting to enter Dejima. Um, the Coast Guard cutter and the fishing trawler exchange shots leading to a fire on Kuze's boat. But just when it seems that Kuze will be captured, Nagasaki unexpectedly suffers a massive blackout, allowing Kuze to escape um, from the trawler with the plutonium. It's already been confirmed that the plutonium is in there. Or is not or in there. That it's not. Right. When he's yeah, on yeah. the boat, he opens it up and realizes that they put fake weights in there. Yeah. Um, and the case is empty. But then he's still just like, go on ahead. Uh, so we as the viewer know, nobody else, like, Section 9 suspects it, but nobody else um, necessarily knows who hasn't been in on the plan, I guess. Anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, he had already inspected the case and discovered that there was lead bars instead of plutonium. Uh, but he hides that revelation from the, the rest of the refugees. Uh, episode 22, a dual episode, Abandoned City, Reversal Process. Uh, someone has discovered a tactical... Meanwhile, someone has discovered a tactical nuclear device in Fukuoka's Kyushu Telecom Tower, and some 35 million citizens are subsequently evacuated over a five-day period to allow the ground self-defense force to safely diffuse and remove the device. As a it note, is a, this is the, this uh, Kyushu Telecom Tower is also where the mass suicide occurred. Mm-hmm. On the, the uh, roof. Yeah, important. Some linkage is happening here as well. Yeah. Um, it is assumed that the culprits behind the bomb are militant refugees, uh, and that it's linked somehow to this, the plutonium acquired by the, supposedly acquired by the refugees. Um, but section nine thinks otherwise, and with the prime minister's permission, they enter the hot zone to investigate the bomb firsthand. Uh, Borma and Paz are sent to inspect the bomb, uh, which appears to be a dirty bomb, but upon closer inspection, Borma deduces the device had elements of an implosion bomb which uses American, um, it, it's essentially like the same type of nuke that w- uh, was dropped on Japan to yeah. World War II. And the, um, there's just like evidence all over it that it may have been assembled in America. Yeah. There, yeah. And there's also like... Outside of, of like stuff that you can easily scan from the outside. But anyway. Oh yeah. There's yeah. also the, the inscription on it that's like what they would write on the, the bombs like the Americans would. Yeah. Um, the air raids of Japan. Yeah, and it, it's specifically like directed towards um, the yeah. prime minister. I forget um, what it says about her, but it's too kaibuki with love. Okay, yeah. Um, Hiroshima Monomore. <laughs> yeah. Um, the unexpected discovery of American material in the bomb creates confusion among the text disarming it, as the refugees have always used C4. Uh, explosive in their bombs. So it's a different type of like bomb assembly. Um, when Paz and Borma handle the bomb diffusion, uh, or while Paz and Borma handle the diffusion, Bato takes Goda up to the roof of the radio tower for a discussion. Using Kusanagi's external memory, Bato plays with Goda's mind. Um, I don't know if I would call it that, but like, it, uh, yeah, attempts picks, to like. Picks his brain and like kind of tries to do some some psychological manipulation to like get into his head a little bit. Right. Calls him second rate, ordinary, and a copycat. 
um, in an effort to bruise his ego and obtain information on the individual Levin and the refugee situation. Um, the plan works. Uh, I, I think it's probably debatable, like how much Goda is fooled. Um, but like, nonetheless, Goda provides some insight into the case, um, revealing information that could only be known to the mastermind. He basically like reveals that he is the mastermind at the end of it, like just admits it outright. Um, meanwhile, Kusanagi, like he says, like, it's at that point where we'll discuss later, but like where the like virginity thing comes up and he's basically like, oh yeah, like this is what I did. Yeah, the um, the question is like, hey, if if you were putting together some sort of like virus like this, like it doesn't replicate itself in every person, and so like there has to be some limiting factor or whatever. If you were doing this, what would you do? And he's like, well, you know, I would do it where it only affects virgins. And Bato's like, you're a sick bastard. And he's yeah. like, yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah, I did that. Yeah. Well, go just <laughs> got go just like. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I would do that, but like, I am a virgin. Also, he he yeah. reveals that virginity is like it's significant here, I think, because then it also ties into the way that they have been dealing with sexuality with the major, and it's the part where I really fucking hate it. <laughs> anyway, we'll get into yeah, that. Yeah, we'll <laughs> moving out with that. synopsis. <laughs> um, so meanwhile, <laughs> uh, Kusadagi and Saito commandeer a GSDA disposal truck. And uh, masquerading as the bomb removal team, uh, secure the plutonium from the bomb. Kusanagi cooks up this plan to transport the plutonium to um, Spring 8 for analysis, expecting that the techs at the facility... Okay, so this isn't exactly the, the cooked up plan. She she has several. Um, first plans to transport the plutonium to Spring 8 for analysis, uh, expecting that the techs at the facility can link the plutonium from the nuclear bomb to the plutonium from the CIS, uh, the evil cis <laughs> nuclear, thank you for the correction, yeah. um, nuclear power plant in the Uchikan 7 district of New Tokyo's Shinjuku Refugee which, District, which we've seen. Yeah, this is where Togusa went down and all that, and the, you know, film things turning black and stuff. Um, since Section 9 believes that Kuze did not obtain plutonium in Russia... The revelation that the cat, that the evil sis is behind the bomb will diffuse the growing sentiment that the refugees must be expelled from Japan. Yeah, that's likely. Um, <laughs> elsewhere, Aramaki meets with Prime Minister Kaibuki to urge her not to send in the GSDA, uh, but she feels she has no other choice in the matter. Um, everything discovered so far points to the refugees. And there's a lot of, like, gestures at, like, political maneuvering that, like, her hands are basically been tied um and she doesn't have like the um political capital to like to resist certain like the other members of the cabinet um at uh at aramaki's urging however she decides to present his report uh to the cabinet in an effort to stop the oncoming civil war uh episode 23 the day the bridge falls martial law Prime Minister Kayabuki meets with her cabinet to discuss the Fukuoka nuclear bomb incident, but the cabinet has already decided to deploy the army to retrieve the remaining plutonium supposedly hidden on Dejima Island. Uh, reluctantly, Kayabuki agrees to the plan and returns to her office to report the decision to Aramaki. After mulling over the available options, Aramaki suggests that the Prime Minister put in a request to the United Nations to ask for the dispatch of their nuclear inspectors to Dejima to collect the plutonium. 
The prime minister agrees and instructs the um, chief cabinet secretary to make the announcement in the press room. For a second, I thought I was going to have to say the evil sis. The unexpected UN. <laughs> I mean, almost. Yeah. Uh, the unexpected UN involvement catches the man off guard. To protect his own interests, he asks an aide to begin the process to remove the prime minister. I think his really- name is Takakura. Yeah. He does become like a significant character in this, so we yeah. might as well name him. Um, the colorfully timed announcement made by the prime minister ruins the chief cabinet secretary's plan. Is that Takakura, the chief cabinet secretary? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Takakura's plan for a military invasion of Dejima, as it will take the UN inspectors 48 hours to arrive in Japan. Despite this, the Japanese self uh, ground self defense army um, and Japanese maritime self defense force are ordered to surround Dejima. Elsewhere, Section 9 has transferred the plutonium from the bomb in Fukuoka to one of their own undercover trucks and have started moving the material to Spring 8. But while en route to the facility, the team discovers that they have been cut off from the chief. In the absence of his instructions, Kusanagi assumes command of all Section 9 members and abruptly changes their plan. Uh, rather than move the plutonium to Spring 8, Section 9 will take it into Dejima and capture Kuze so that they can hand uh, them both over to the UN. The it's team the agrees. Old switcheroo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the team agrees and the plan is put into motion, but before infiltrating Dejima, a single Tachikoma containing a sample of the plutonium is dispatched to Ishikawa, who has volunteered to take the sample to Spring 8. He's like still injured in the hospital and is in a cast for the rest of the series. Um, using the SDA mobilization as a cover, Section 9 captures a military transport chopper, uh, chopper and head for Dejima to put their plan into action. Meanwhile, the refugees are becoming anxious. The military has blockaded Dejima, and the two sides face each other down from the opposite sides of the bridge that leads into Dejima. Thanks to the last second internet message from Kusanagi, Tuesday realizes that the Japanese army is coming, but before he can do anything about it, the refugees' connections... Uh, connection to Kuze's cyberbrain hub is cut off by Goto's communications jamming. Out on the bridge barricade, a trigger-happy refugee sniper breaks with instructions not to fire and kills the GSDA soldier. There's also some impl- implication that maybe like um, Goda's virus is starting to like infect, or he's doing something else with that too. But anyway, yeah. um, triggering a gunfight between the barricade refugees and the um, JGSDF. Is that correct? Or did they... Japanese oh, yeah, ground the ground self-defense self force. Yeah. Um, um, yeah uh, episode the, this, 24. When... Maybe it's coming up. When is the conversation between Kuze and um, Aramaki's brother slash maybe just Aramaki happen? Uh, I believe it is in episode 24. Okay. I, I hope that uh, the, the synopsis will talk about it. I did not read through these synopses at all when I copied and pasted them in here. <laughs> we'll, we'll note it if... Uh, yeah. If it doesn't, um, I do want to note that the like cutting of of connections with Aramaki suggests that maybe something is happening in there, but who knows? Yeah, um, it's a little weird and and convoluted. I think it's his brother, but it's unclear to me sometimes when I um, watch this. It so it is. It's in the episode we just. It's in episode twenty three that it happens. So okay. it wasn't. It was not in the, um, the synopsis. Okay. Um. But yeah, like as Kuze is like running around inside of Dejima, um, he encounters like either I I think it's Yosuke, uh, yeah. Aramaki's brother, um, but I guess you know it, it could be like argued that it might be Aramaki, 
Um, and they have a, a long conversation um, that is pretty important. Um, yeah, they're they're the the reason why it's interesting to me is that there are parts of those conversation there's parts of that conversation where it feels like it is just Yusuke and there are parts of that conversation where it feels like Aramaki like our Aramaki cuz both of them are Aramaki is the you know family name um but like chief Aramaki there's stuff that like almost seems like stuff that he would be pushing and it just makes me wonder if like we know that they were trying to get into contact in first season. Are they trying to imply that like maybe Aramaki is using his brother to talk to Kuze or, or what's going right. on there? Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a, a lot of discussion of like, this is where Kuze kind of like begins to expound on his, like on his plan and his like ideology. And um, it, this is, it's a, in, all the important information, but um Maybe we'll cover it in our discussion. Yeah. Um, episode 24. Uh, individual episode. Aerial bombing of Dejima. Nuclear power. <laughs> um, the chief cabinet secretary, Takakura, formally relieves the prime minister of her duties because of her decision to call on the UN to mediate in the Dejima crisis. It's it's basically a coup d'etat. Yeah. Um, along with Aramaki, Proto, and Togusa... The PM is moved under guard to an abandoned room in the building. Um, so she's basically placed under house arrest. Yeah. Um, and so are, yeah, so are Aramaki, Proto, and Togusa. Um, although the Prime Minister and her Section 9 escorts are split up, they're not out of the fight. Uh, Aramaki produces a small caliber firearm uh, revolver. Um, and uh, Proto, Section 9's bioroid, um, it's something that is like revealed here and then not like discussed ever again. Yeah. This is the uh, thing where I'm like, <laughs> I wish that they had in, they had done the stuff with the Tachi sooner sooner and been able to bring in stuff with proto more. And we would have like had proto being more of a character before all of this stuff happens. Cause you're not invested in proto as a character. When all of this stuff happens, it would work so much more if they like built up proto over the season as like, Oh, this is like the new member of the team or something, you know? Yeah. I feel like they, it just like narratively doesn't work for me, but anyway, is a bioroid. I think, I think that, yeah, I think this is probably like one of the strongest arguments in favor of like, if you were to take the like, like second gig is like not that good argument in, in terms of like or like this the narrative and like the storytelling is like is just incoherent. Um, I think this would be a very good like argument in favor of that viewpoint because it's just like, like, Oh yeah. It's just revealed in like one sentence and then like, kind of like, then, you know, he's a viroid after that for a few episodes, but like it's never explored or like elaborated on at all. Um, It it does feel just like, like, Oh yeah. Here's just throw this fucking shit in here. Yeah. It's not like, Like, what does this mean? What it like, Ghost in the Shell standalone complex is so concerned with like, let us like look at the interiority of the Tachikomas as they develop like a sense of personhood and individuality. And then it's just like, well, here's this thing called a bioroid. Well, that's just like, it's, <laughs> it's like a, a bio robot anyway. Yeah. Like this thing that like by all rates within like a ghost in the shell, like, like piece of media should be like explored. Yeah. Like, 
should have its, in, its own entire episode <laughs> that is about Proto the Bioroid and then like have episodes that are further developing our like understanding of what a Bioroid is does yeah. not happen here. <laughs> it's just like 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 revealed in a one like a one liner and then like not even defined. Like Yeah. Yeah. Proto, anyway. your blood is white. <laughs> I thought you were an android. I thought you were just a human. I didn't know that you were an android. Like I thought you were a cyborg. No, I am a bioroid. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, moving I'm dead. on. No, moving wait. On. No, he's not dead after all. We still yeah. need him for the plot. Um, <laughs> moving on. He manages to gain access to the net where he finds <laughs> section nine Tachikomas. Right through them, Proto gains access to the building blueprints and up-to-date information on section nine's Tajima operation, as well as the location of the prime minister. Uh, this is where he, like, gets fried and, like, his blood is white. And then he's, it's revealed that he's a bioroid. <laughs> um, with this information in hand, Togusa and the chief set out to rescue Kayabuki and put the brakes on the... Whoever wrote the synopsis has some, like, threw in some colloquialisms here. Um, put the brakes on the Dejima situation. <laughs> Before things get even worse. Initial uh, D-face. <gasps> <laughs> you put the brakes on this massacre of unarmed refugees um or not unarmed but yeah you know uh asymmetric warfare um on the refugee district uh elsewhere the major and the rest of section nine uh who if you've forgotten are bato borma saito and pause um managed to infiltrate dujima island in their captured military chapter uh, but before the team can safely disembark, an, uh, a number of Jigabachi aircraft fire on the helicopter, disabling the rotor. Um, yeah, the Jigabachis are back. They're, like, attacking the refugee district, exactly like yeah. they were, like, in that weird military exercise um, that they had done, like, several uh, several episodes back. Now they're doing it for real. Um, Kusanagi bails from the chopper before it crashes. Uh, intending to locate Kuze, uh, while the rest of the team is tasked with uh, presenting the quote-unquote missing plutonium to the UN inspection team. Um, unfortunately, Section 4 has been dispatched to retrieve the missing plutonium as well. Um, and it, it says that they mistake Section 9 operatives for militant refugees, but they've been briefed, like, they've been essentially given, like, a briefing that says, like, rogue soldiers have stolen the like plutonium or whatever and you need to go kill them and yeah. get the plutonium back um so uh there's a shootout uh across the streets of Dejima as both sides like as section nine tries to flee and section four chases them um meanwhile kuze leads a small band of refugees armed with stinger missiles to the docks of Dejima island uh the quartet manages to shoot down the e2c hawkeye responsible for the communications jamming signal over Dejima, uh, which allows the refugees to gain access to a cyber brain once more, um, also re-enabling the communications between um, the various members of Section 9. Uh, from the refugees, Kuze learns of the developing situation. Uh, the army and navy are attacking the island with airstrikes, missiles, and naval artillery. Um, they've also deployed radiation scrubbers in the air in and around Dejima uh, to prevent any fallout from the nuclear material supposedly, um, the refugees have. Um, around this time, it is like the Tachikomas... Oh, okay. Never mind. Um, the, at the end of this episode, it, the Tachikomas make a uh, certain discovery about this. 
Um, but anyway, um, for the moment, Dejima Island is safe from invasion because the only land bridge into the facility has been destroyed. But the army has begun to move uh, portable bridge equipment in to rebuild it. Uh, as Section 9 races against the clock to stop the fighting, the Tachikomas monitoring the situation make a disturbing discovery. What could it be? In episode 25, an individual episode, to the other side of paradise, this side of justice. Buh, buh, the Tachikoma buh. units, I just like to the other side of paradise, this side of justice. So the other side of paradise is justice, I guess. <laughs> anyway, the Tachikoma units, through the use of a satellite, have spotted an American Empire ballistic missile submarine carrying nuclear warheads off the coast of Okinawa. The discovery has the Tachikoma tanks concerned. They cannot hack into the submarine's computerized equipment to determine the vessel's orders. To make matters worse, the missiles carried by the submarine are designed to go clear into the stratosphere before returning to Earth. This revolution, uh, revelation means the submarine can hit Dejima Island from its current location and position, and that the missile cannot be traced back to the submarine, thereby absolving the American Empire from any blame for a nuclear attack. Tachikoma tanks believe that the sub is preparing to destroy Dejima by launching a warhead at the island, which will eliminate not only Dejima Island and its refugees, but also the ground self-defense army soldier station in Nagasaki and the maritime self-defense force cruisers around the island, and also Section 9, the people who are on the island right now, <laughs> who the Tachikomas care very much about, especially Bato, their dad. <laughs> Elsewhere, their dad, Bato, and the rest of Section 9. I did a little editorializing here. Could uh, you see? No, could you, you got it. Yeah, could you tell where yeah. I did it? Could, dear listener, could you tell where I editorialized on the Wikipedia article? Elsewhere, their dad, Bato, and the rest of Section 9 are heavily pursued by Section 4, dispatched by the um, JGSDF to retrieve the plutonium allegedly possessed by the militant refugees. Section 9 seems to have the upper hand until Bato and the others are cornered by Section 4 members in an open-air plaza. In a bold move, Bato reveals himself <laughs> to Section 4 and attempts to convince them that they are being set up by a third party. Since Bato's eyes are of the same type of the members of Section 4 have, the team and the other members of the Rangers listen to Bato as he explains that a submarine is preparing to nuke Dejima. It's basically like, hey, I was in the Marines too, that kind of thing. Like, we're yeah, all marine like, boys here. We're all rangers. Yeah. I'm a ranger, you're rangers. And, and like, also, like, and, and it is, like, I think important to note that, like, section four, we see some, like, a, a few shots throughout, like, the last episode in this one of section four, like, talking amongst themselves, being like, hey, this op, this op is a little bit weird, don't you think? Like... Why is like this happening or this happening? Where they're like already questioning like yeah aspects of the situation. Um, so anyway, Section Four realizes that if the plutonium is not present, uh, presented to the JSDA soon, they will launch a full-scale military invasion of the island, which will provide Goto with the scenario he envisioned for a nuclear suicide attack initiated by the refugees. I mean, the idea here seems to be basically we're gonna send a nuke at the island. But most people will not know that a nuke fell from the sky. Um, and so yeah. we can just like spin it as, oh, they just like blew up the island themselves with the material they had. Um, yeah. And there's also like, it, I think seemingly due to like Goda's information manipulation stuff, like there's like increasing, there's a lot of like mentions of the refugees, like, planning a nuclear suicide attack like throughout these episodes that are like repeated amongst like 
like the various members of the military and the government and whatever. Yeah. Uh, so it's just like being floated as a possibility, like for yeah. for and it, it's s- ostensibly episodes. the reason why they have the scrubbers, right? But now all yeah. the plans coming together of like, oh, this is also a showcase of the scrubbing technology, um, blah blah blah. This is all going to tie into like Goda's overall plan to basically just like have a relationship between Japan and America where Japan can be um the Japan of like the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Like a fascist, like military industrial complex, like police state. Yeah, where most people don't care because they just have lots of money and the city pop is good. Um Anyway, wasting no time, both Section 9 and Section 4 head for the bridge of the Plutonium. At the bridge site, the GSDA has finally uh, succeeded in erecting a replacement for the Section Bridge of Bridge Destroyed earlier. Unaware of the nuclear threat posed by the American submarine, the GSDA prepares to invade Dejima to pacify it, ahead of the expected arrival of the UN inspectors. Elsewhere, Kusanagi finally locates Kuze, but we uh, both find themselves trapped under rubble following a JMSDF air raid. Trapped in a warehouse and with missiles and naval gunfire pounding the position, Kuze explains that his revolution is meant to be a sort of mass migration of the refugees' minds into the net. Um, he uses lots of uh, terms here that I'm sure you'll have no thoughts about, Connor, when talking yeah, about this. Definitely um, not. Yeah. Um, and that is ideals in the ideals of the individual 11 virus uh, were enough at odds with each other that he was able to break the virus's hold on him. As the two converse, Bato heads for Kusanagi's position to rescue her from the impeding nuclear strike or impending nuclear strike. Sorry. It is impeding though. It's really yeah. impeding on the, on the Kuze Kusanagi romance. Yeah. <laughs> um, episode 26 individual. Return to patriotism. Endless infinity gig. <laughs> My worst um, nightmare. This gig goes on forever. <laughs> and and they return to patriotism. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um. Uh, the JMSDF lets loose with another round of artillery fire and missile strikes as refugees on Dejima attempt to evacuate the island aboard makeshift rafts and boats. In an attempt to save as many refugee lives as possible. Um, Kusanagi orders the Tachikoma units to delete all of their podcast files to secure as much space as they can find on the net to store the refugees' memories and ghosts. Um, basically, they're going to migrate all the refugees to the to the cloud. Yeah. Um, that's the big. That's the. But let that's me. Kuzay's plan. Yeah, but let me tell you, those Audacity files—they get huge. They do. They're fucking massive. And the Tachikomas are like, fuck no. You're, I'm not going to clear this out. You're, n- you're not saving Audacity files beyond like current seasons, are you, Hunter? <laughs> um, I, I have them saved in my external memory to use against Goto later. Oh, okay. Fair. Um, fair. <laughs> um, so, um, so, yeah, Kusanagi like, more or less adopts Kuze's plan um in order to that just save the refugees she doesn't see any other way um so uh she orders the tachikomas to clear out the cloud the google drive um but the tachikomas disregard these orders um and this is a i think pretty important moment that we'll hopefully discuss um taking matters into their own hands the tachikomas decide to commandeer a satellite it's i think it's a lot of satellites um and uh, drop it into the path 
that a missile launch from the sub would take in order to prevent the missile from hitting its intended target. Like they drop a bunch of satellites to create like I think in the in the show it's referred to as like a flat curtain um across like the various potential like trajectories of the missile or whatever. Um they uh the final satellite that they like co- commandeer uh to complete like this interception um they realize is the satellite that is where their own ai is stored um the american satellite where their own ai is stored mm-hmm. um nonetheless uh they continue with their plan um saving copies of their memories in the space gathered for the refugees that part i didn't even notice uh i don't remember that happening but i'll, I'll yeah maybe maybe so um Maybe so, maybe solid state society will explain this. I've, oh, I I don't know if it does or not. I again, I know I remember basically nothing. I know that okay. I've seen solid state society. I could not tell you a single thing about what it's about. Okay, good. Um, it's just it, like evaporated from my brain as just like <laughs> more second gig. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. Elsewhere, Section 9 and Section 4 arrive at the bridge, uh, the re- newly repaired bridge with the plutonium, and are met by members of the GSDA. Uh, as Section 9 and Section 4 explain the situation, the missile slated to destroy Tajima is launched, um, but it is successfully intercepted by the Tachikuma satellite um, before it can reach Tajima. Down at the docks, Bato succeeds in locating both Kusanagi and Kuze. Um, who are evacuated from the island by a GSDA helicopter. Uh, back at the cabinet room, Kaibuki and several security men loyal to her, corner chief secretary Takakura, who the synopses finally have decided to name, um, who is then arrested by Aramaki. Following his arrest, the PM and Section 9 turn their attention to Goda, who is planning on defecting to the American Empire, uh, accompanied by Aramaki and Togusa. Uh, SAT team storms and secures the floor, where Goda and his American entourage are located. Um, notably, this is the skeevy American diplomat from uh, Jungle Cruise um, in season one. Yeah. Uh, amongst other people. Um, Goda uh, states that he is beyond the reach of the Japanese justice system, uh, as he has informed the police of his actions by a letter prior to the Dejima incident. So, like... <laughs> Yeah, this is a, a moment we can discuss. But he's basically like, Aramaki's like, yeah, we're charging you with like trying to instigate a civil war and also like trying to like commit mass murder against tens of thousands of people. And he's like, oh well, but actually, like, I don't know if you've read like the like bylaws of like Japanese criminal law, but if I turn myself in for those crimes, I actually can't be prosecuted for them. Um. And it's just kind of like, what? <laughs> um, so, uh, and he's like, yeah, in peace, I'm defecting to the United States. You can't prosecute me, and I'm also defecting. Um, and, uh, like, then uh, Aramaki counters with a letter from Kaibuki, wherein she has labeled Goda as uh, a special asset um, to Japan. Uh, which requires him to stay in Japan or face execution um, from the self-defense force to prevent him from falling into enemy hands. 
So we're getting a little um, bit of the thing that came up with the Tachikoma's creator too. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, th- this other, like this defection theme that is also present in, um, the ni- 1995 film. Yeah. Um, but some like interesting stuff about like the justice system and like the workings of justice here. Um, during the conversation, like as this is transpiring, an elevator arrives to take Goda and the Americans to the ground floor. Basically, Goda and the Americans are like, ah, they're just bluffing. Like, they won't actually kill me. Um, and when the doors open, Kusanagi just like absolutely lights Goda up and like yeah. blows his head off. Um, just like that. Uh, yeah, it kind of starts in his dead. chest and then just like drifts up to his head and. We get one of the, like, goriest depictions of a head being shot that um, I've seen in anime that was aired on television, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, like, just absolutely, like, mercilessly, like, annihilates him. I've definitely Um, seen gorier depictions on, like, not aired on TV anime, but for aired on TV anime, it's pretty intense. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty pretty brutal. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so, go to Zed. Um... However, at the same time, the CIA assassinates Kuze um, to prevent him from becoming a rallying point for the refugees. Um, notably, they assassinate him with micro-machines. Um, so kind of a throwback to season one there. Um, but then also, subtext. this synopsis doesn't go into the whole thing of like when the Major was possibly going to like do this uploading to the net thing. They like linked together and you know we're like basically like hugging each other with like arm around neck and then they were like gonna they were holding apples and they were both gonna like eat the apple that they were holding but like you know arm wrapped around the other person um and she notes that that kuze has a bite out of the apple suggesting that he went to the net before he died right and and there is like a a scene of like where he's like quote-unquote dying however we want to interpret this where he says like oh i'm gonna go on ahead um yeah so, like, heavily implied that he has, like, made... He's uploaded himself to the cloud. Yeah. But um, also... Going on ahead can also mean dying. But also, right. Ghost in the Shell 1995, what is the distinction between uh, death and uploading yourself to the cloud? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So, like, all of this is at play. Um, yeah. Um... And, and maybe we'll circle back around to this. Yeah. Um, sometime later, um, Section 9 is apparently... So, I think at this point, like, everything is probably up for grabs in this synopsis. Like, I don't know how much I, like... It, all of this is up for interpretation. Yeah. Um, sometime later, Section 9 is apparently reorganized into a militarized unit, which I don't know what the fuck they were before. Um <laughs> With the Tachikoma's gone, Kusanagi and the others are now reliant on less emotional, slightly more advanced Uchikoma AI tanks. Um, Kusanagi they, lost. They him. do seem to have less personality, but also like they're new. The Tachikomas, it took them a while. They could get there. They could get there. Yeah, exactly. Um, Kusanagi, lost in thought, snaps out of her daydream and realizes. Uh, her next mission with all her former Section 9 members, um, courtesy of Togusa, that sentence makes literally no sense. Um, she, like, seems to, they get a briefing that, like, a budget amendment 
that they have been wanting has been passed. And then they're like, okay, let's rule out. Um, it doesn't like say, as I recall, what like their next mission is. Yeah. Um, Bato then they've leads like her- they've been on like leave where they like they get like told that they are like now officially mobilized again or something. So it seems like a thing where they were like not in operation for a little bit in the way that they kind of seem to have been at the very beginning when there's that first episode and it's like, Oh, we finally got like authorization to actually do something. Um, yeah. And, and they're also and like Kusanagi makes like a, a, a joke about the current operation they've been doing, which is just watching the cherry blossoms fall is over. Yeah. And like all of this is taking place in this like weirdly like Oniric, like pastoral, like cherry blossom, like girded, like like landscape um that's like in like in the countryside or whatever um but yet like in spite of not being mobilized they're all sitting there and like fully equipped and like full armor and with weapons and tanks um like in spite of again being like it is on vacation in this pastoral landscape um so yeah um then like they're like okay let's roll out um and kusanagi's like bato you lead lead the team to go do whatever now go do the mission and bato's like okay i'll see you there right and kusanagi's like yeah and bato's like okay but really you're gonna be there right and she's like yeah sure um and then they leave and then kusanagi like Rides off in a tachikoma, um, going like seemingly a different direction, um, and that's yeah, game. or at least riding solo, right? Yeah, yeah. perhaps the same direction. Um, oh. I think that's up for uh, up for debate as well. Yeah. Uh, so so that's second gig. That's yeah. the end of our episode. Thank you, everyone. Next time we will be doing Ghost in the Shell <laughs> Solid State Society. Uh, where can people find you online, Connor? Uh, y- yeah, y'all can follow me at Rabelais, R-A-B-B-L-E-A-I-S. Uh, and you can, of course, follow me at Foxmomnia or uh, also at Mediav underscore Pile. Uh, you can follow the podcast at Ghost Divers Pod and go to exportaud.io and support the network. Yeah. Bye everyone. See you next time for yeah, see you next time for more plot synopses. You know, that's what we do on Ghost Divers. Bye. Bye. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put some of the theme are they, in there. Are they gone yet? <laughs> they gone what are they I, gone i hope so what okay. what if what if someone thinks that that because i'm gonna start playing the theme there what okay, if someone yeah. what if someone thinks that that was actually the end of the episode and that this is all post like post ending content this is all kuze's like death hallucination no no this is just <laughs> end of every episode we have posts we're just we're just like launching pondering Bhutan now did you, you, read the, you read the first chapter, right? I mean, I, we can, like, take a little break. I can go get it. The, the, the first chapter of Pondering Pluton, the first, like, episode of Pondering Pluton is just, like, the discussion for 
Ghost in the Shell Second Cake episodes twenty through twenty six. <laughs> and then and then if, <laughs> and then we're like, and if you want to know what the real first episode of Pondering Poodon is, go listen to. <laughs> go listen to Static. <laughs> um, go listen to the discussion episode for Ghost in the Shell uh, episodes twenty through twenty six. So, is that? I don't know exactly how you want to approach this. Like, part of me is like, let's talk a little bit about like the over, the like arc overall, and then after that, I'm kind of fine with you doing like here are just things that I want to hit. But for for me, especially because I've had a little bit more distance where I don't remember all of the exact details, some of me is like, let's do the thing that I love to do. Let's get to the end. Let's like yeah, sure. sure. Let's like let's because the thing that I'm I. I guess the big thing that I want to put forward before we like get into anything else is I'm kind of glad that the way that we were recording this ended up being, we just watched ghost in the shell 1995, which is a a movie where I can like really see how them, the major someone who's like in this role, but it, and like in many ways identifying with the power that it gives her but also questioning it is also like questioning her identity is expressing some fears about the ways that she is like owned by the state that her entire selfhood Mm -hmm. is owned by the state um those are like things going on with kuznaki there this has like moments that feel like it is like referencing stuff from ghost in the shell 1995 um including like almost a like weird inversion of the puppet master there's a i think a certain visual similarity you can draw um not like extensive but a little bit from the puppet master and then kuze um just in terms of like the white hair some of the presentation the puppet master specifically like having a a masculine pronoun and things like that as well i'm not saying that i think that kuze is the puppet master but i think there but it's like a masculine like puppet if you were to like design that like it's not far-fetched yes and and yeah so there is a certain like paralleling that i think is happening there that i I find interesting and i think also becomes interesting if i think about it from this like a sure no perspective where like kuze uh, is a, a character who is already dead and is enacting like is enacting his life and then getting to his death and the the end of like the sure no is like the the recapitulation of the the death of the samurai in this process of being judged after they've died. Like we go through their life and we end with how they died. And then that's like the end of the play. This is how like, this is the structure of a sure enough. And we, we end here with this death of Kuze and there's like this kind of inversion of some of the stuff with the puppet master happening where the puppet master is like, I exist in the net and I want my body to like become a part of, um, like, a, a like physical embodied. body. Yeah. I, yeah. I want to become embodied because I want to like, I want to like claim a life for myself and like ways that we define life include death. Like part of the definition of life is also death. And so like, in order for me to have like been alive, I must also be able to die. Um, this is like a thing that the puppet master is talking about in that series. And a lot of the 1995 ghost in the shell to me is this like introspective look at like, life and death and how these like technological things can like further complicate or, or cause us to like become more introspective and more inquisitive and more uh, exploratory about like, what are we actually even talking about when we talk about life and death? 
Kuze is doing this like kind of opposite thing where Kuze wants to leave the body, wants right. to like take a bunch of people and leave the body and go to the net and attain in that some sort of immortality. But I think there is also stuff that is being played at here that is like suggesting some sort of um, like there is this like Christological imagery with like Bato and the cross who's like, you know, dies and is reborn. Um, and like the suffering of the cross, like these things are like being brought in. Uh, there's like holes like, in his hands when he's yes. shot. Um, yeah. there's also the, them being in a cave for a while and then emerging, like some of that is also tying into Bur- yeah, it. Buried and then like, yes. Ex- yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's also, it's getting like commingled with this like Adam and Eve thing of like biting the apples, Eve being the one who gives the, you know, the apple to Adam and they bite them and then they leave like the, you know, they get kicked out the because garden. they, yeah, the garden yeah, the of Eden. Of good evil. Um, and then it, this is like wanting to put them together as like an Adam and Eve figure of like a romance that is like sparking this new world that is this thing in the, the internet, but then also like some of the imagery at the end and specifically like Tuesday's death. And then talking about like, I will see you, you know, I'm going to go on ahead, but I'm going to go on ahead could mean going to the the afterlife in the same way that it can mean going to the net. And there's a certain questioning of like, is going to the net the same as going to the afterlife, right? Like, if yeah. if looking at, like, Ghost in the Shell 1995, if, like, there's a certain attempt of, like, embodiment, being able to die, these sorts of things, when you go to the net, then, the, like, there is something different, like, there's something different than life or outside of life that could be, like, what how people conceive of as afterlives, and especially if you're doing this Ashura No thing where the the samurai goes through like this reenactment of his life and then at the end gets judged and like, you know, will either go on to heaven or on to hell. Like this is also tying into like a passing on into like beyond life. And this is like kind of what Kuze is achieving and that that um Kusanagi still has not done. But we're like, I think intentionally getting some mirroring with that stuff. Yeah, so the one thing I'll add is, like, I think this question is, like, one of the many questions, like, that is at stake um, in second gig. I think that there is a lot of, like, ambivalence and complexity around, like, I I think this is another one that's extremely open-ended, and there's a lot of, like, critical, um, like, treatment of the idea from various perspectives. So like it is, it's introduced in like, or well for this selection of episodes, like we start off with episode 20 where like, I'm also forgetting his name. I feel bad for him. The the recruit who gets killed in the, in the firefight in the sub, like um, it like is suggested that they just like upload his memories from his cyber brain into like a new body. And then it, it like that is immediately like, um, like shot down as like, uh, they're like, Oh, why can't you just keep him alive by uploading his memories? And I can't remember who says it, but it's like, no, I know that won't happen. Even if you copied his memories, his ghost wouldn't be there. Um, so like, okay, somehow like, you know, we're, we're bringing in like, your consciousness is constituted by memories in this certain way, but like, it's not, you know, a one-to-one. Um, you can't just like 
reproduce a ghost by like, you know, reproducing this data um, or somehow this process of conversion is like not, you know, doesn't preserve life, potentially does not. Um, and then like even more crucially, um, the Tachikomas, like this exact thing comes up with the Tachikomas when they refuse the major's order to like enact Kuze's plan. Um, and they discuss this like amongst themselves and they say like, Oh, would like if even if we uploaded their memories, would they like would they really continue to live, or would their ghosts like be preserved? And the Tachikomas, like maybe surprisingly, are like, I don't think so. Like they're very skeptical, um, and like reject this. Um, yeah, or if not like outright reject, they're like highly doubtful um, that this is the case, um, and then therefore like refuse um the order uh so like anyway all of that to say like just to add to your point like that this is brought in as like a thing that is at stake and there's like um questions like on all sides of like of this idea yeah um well, and then also, like, we get the Dachikomas sacrificing themselves again because, uh, you know, we had to do the big emotional moment of the first season again where the Tachikomas right. sacrificed themselves to save. But instead of now just saving Bato, it's saving an entire island of people. Um, honestly, more courageous, but it was more emotional to me when they were like, all three of us are going to die so Bato can live. <laughs> for our dad. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. Anyway, uh, so, and, like, there's some other part I, I was talking about. Oh, and sorry, so... I, sorry for derailing you there. The, there's stuff here that I'm very excited about with, like, there's the stuff with the sure or no, and it was a thing that I really started thinking about when I was watching it um, right after we did the first season, when I was kind of just watching through Second Gig on my own because I was really excited about Ghost in the Shell standalone complex again. Um, but I, I wasn't, like... I was picking up on it, but picking up on it too late to like really start developing it in my head of like what's going on here. And so this watch through, I have enjoyed the show more than like that time. And I think some of it is that there's a little bit more distance from the first season, which is just stellar. Um, and so there's like not as much disappointment on my part, I guess. I also went into it expecting to be down on it. And so there's more room for me to like find things that I liked. Um, but also this is sure or no thing was a thing that helped me start like putting together and um, understanding just like, what is it that's actually appealing to me in the show? What is it that I'm like pulling at? How can I like frame this in ways where there are, there's like interesting content uh, content for me to mull over and think over. And a lot of it is around this, like, life and death, this, like, judging after death, um, the, like, characters being in states of, like, of, like, living death or, like, mm -hmm. deathly life, um, Kuze in particular being one of them, um, but, I, like, I think this also kind of comes up with some other characters at, like, smaller mm -hmm. points, um, mm -hmm. and so all this stuff is exciting, but there's still this, like, part that, um, that sours a lot of it for me, and it is... I don't know how you take, like, you're literally doing something within the same franchise as Ghost in the Shell 1995, and you don't understand what Ghost in the Shell 1995 is talking about in relation to the Major and how she can, like, 
despite being this like tool of authority, how she can actually like have these certain subversive or revolutionary or like at least like um scared or like wanting to like like she has all of these feelings around life and death that exist in that movie. And in here that stuff like you have to bring more to it having known like the older stuff because what is more yeah. textually present there is this romance around Kuze. And it's a romance that I don't think is like developed in an interesting way where I where I'm bought into this relationship between them. It's like really this like boyhood crush or you know, girlhood crush that she had on a boy. Um and we get one episode that's kind of good. I did notably um I'm going to try and watch Grass Labyrinth, which is um, uh, Teriyama Shuji film, or I think it's a short film that that episode was named after. So maybe I'll have more thoughts on it after I watch that. Um, you'll you'll also have access to that, Connor, if you want to watch it. Um, oh yeah, yep. But um, and so like the you know that episode I like as a standalone thing, but not as like like as just like a story. There's like interesting things in there for me but i don't like it for like what it means about the major and how the rest of the series handles it and also how it then ties it into in these last six episodes this concept of uh, virginity through like goda stuff because part of what is like meant to in our heads then within like a narrative construction of these episodes and peril kuzanagi is that it is implied that like kuze is a virgin and so is she because she was like you know, got the cyborg body when she was so young and it is mm-hmm. making statements about, about sex and um, like prosthetic bodies and things that I don't even think are like true for like, like it, it is doing this like very gross, like virginity is like actual penetrative sex with like a penis and a vagina, you know, like this, like very like base, like it is like physical with body. And that's like not what sex is. And other things in Ghost in the Shell understand that's not what sex is. It's the original comic, which is, I'm going to read, I hear it's not that great, but like still has like the major engaging in like weird brain cyber sex. And like sex can be so much shit that's not like this extremely limiting, like conservative sense of sex. Um, and to like tie that to like an actual like base fact about people, like virginity that you could then like base a computer virus around. Um, it's just weird. It's just like, and it, it, it's like contextualizing so much of the like sexlessness of the major throughout the, um, which like almost like seems to be a joke in, in the first season of like, we get the part where like, Oh, the major seems to be like having all these wild nights, but then both she and Togusa are like ignoring their partners to work more to do work. Yeah. But that scene does not read as the major never has sex to me. When that happens in that episode, it feels like, oh, yeah, sometimes the major is just like having threesomes with her two girlfriends. But here's what she's doing like a lot of the time, like as like not like a default state, but like, yeah, you know, it's just presented as like, yeah, this is like the major's apartment. This is what it looks like. And that she doesn't know way where it is a thing that like her her partners are expecting of her. And then she like doesn't do it because she's like engaged in this case. And that's like yeah. kind of what's what's happening there. And then it feels like this tries to instate like, no, like she's this sexless being um, that she like brings it up in the thing with Chai, which is, again, we talked all about the stuff there. I don't need to rehash all of that, but like also bring it up in there of like, oh, yes, like perhaps she did that because like 
she can't have sex. She said care to find out because she can't have sex. But then that's a complete misunderstanding of sex because it doesn't matter if, like, she doesn't have a vagina down there. She could still rape that boy. Like, she has hands and all sorts of things that can be used sexually. Like, all of it it just becomes this, like, weird misogynist thing around the major and, like, that her her weakness as a woman is, like, this... Uh, romantic attraction that she has to this like childhood crush and like none of that tugs at what's actually interesting about the character to me um in ways that you could even still bring in like a romance aspect with guse but still have it be like a romance that is like based on like ideological like i want to see like the kuzanagi and kuze having a like ideological conversation in the way that she did with the puppet master yeah we don't really get that. We just kind of get this, like, oh, <laughs> like, like none of it works. Adam and Eve for, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like so much of it, like, feels weird and forced, and just like a way to imperil her because she is a woman. Um, and so that's where all of it falls apart. And so there's all this stuff that I'm excited about, but then when you factor in like the character who's my favorite character in all of Ghost and Shit in the shell the major it's like the weakest part of everything that makes me interested in second gig and that's like where i i guess i get the most frustrated because it's like to me so much of what they're talking about in second gig is stuff that in other parts of like this franchise feel key to the major as a character is like to be this like extremely identified with your job and like so fully tied into it that your entire body is owned by your employer um but then to to like still have like even if it is like sublimated, even if it is like pushed down, there are still just moments where she expresses doubts around that or where she, um, you know, we even get in second gig, a comment with the Tachikoma scientist guy of like, Oh yeah. He's like trapped just like us basically. And so are we. Yeah. Um, but like, it never like, it never develops that in a way that feels like it's actually like understanding what I think is the core of the character. And it just like, Again, the the whole Grass Labyrinth episode of the show was like fully fabricated by the showrunners um, and is not pulled from any other material um, and seems to be a thing that like he's been like kind of chided for by other people <laughs> based on how he responds to interviews around it, including us. Um, and I, I just feel like it's such I feel like it's. For me, the weakness of Second Gig is I think with that episode, the showrunners believe that they have come to an understanding of the major. They're like, I didn't really understand it before and what our motivations would be. And now I do. It's a childhood crush. And it's like, you landed on the wrong thing, my guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Anyway, this is my rant. I'll let you talk now. But like, this is my whole feeling of like, why I'm so like down on second gig, even though there's so much here that like, I'm excited about that I find interesting is that I just think it like fumbles so much of it and so much of it through this like way that they handle her character. Um, so I have, I've got a lot of thoughts about the major in Kuze and, uh, I'm going to try and string together a few things here. So hopefully I don't just like completely lose my train of thought mm-hmm. um but i think you like all the stuff that you're bringing out is important um there are different aspects of the relationship like for me like i'm ambivalent on, on reading it like as a romance although like that is definitely put forward in all the ways that you're like 
um, that, that you brought out, um, seeing it as like a pure, just like romance to, to me is hard because like, I think some of the stuff with Cusay, like the major and the, and Cusay like connect for like these various reasons. Like, I think the, um, the first one, which like I've touched on before is, uh, I, I think we discussed this like in our last discussion episode. The the major like Cusay has implications for her identity in terms of like her past, like a continuity with like her her past self and her current self. Yeah. Like in season one we saw this, like that this became an important like revelation about her character, that this like sense of continuity is somehow like really important to her. Like in the form of the bracelet. Like that the bracelet was this like object this external object that like grounded this continuity and like gave her some sort of like um continuous sense of self uh and was therefore like important and valuable to her kuze now does the same thing um except he's another person so like this becomes complicated like increasingly in that um, okay, so it's not just like another external object that gives me a sense of continuity. It's a person who like I can interact with and have like an interpersonal relationship with. Um, but like this interpersonal relationship is now fundamentally charged with like this, like all, all of like the emotion around the sense of continuity and all of the like importance it has for like my identity. So I think that's like the fun, the baseline. There's also stuff that gets fleshed out here around like in the conversation they have in like the tomb of Jesus, yada, yada, um, about like Kuze talks about like, since I was cyberized, I can't remember the exact dialogue, but it's something to the effect of like, since I was cyberized as a child, I have constantly felt like a sense of disparity between like myself or like my mind and my body. Um, and like, this has led me to like, you know, I've struggled with this, like, and it's led me to want to like abandon my body and merge with the net. Um, but then I'm like constantly coming back to the realization that like my consciousness is like an embodied consciousness and somehow like being in a body is, um, important and like i've had these experiences with like the refugees when i was a soldier um where like i gained a sense of like concordance with my body and that was like profoundly uh that was like a profound experience for me um that changed my life when i finally was able to like get this sense of like wholeness and continuity uh and again like describing this experience that is like similar struggling with these issues and like having these like experiences that are like similar to what we know or at least what we can like you know surmise from what we know about the major um that like they have shared experiences around like 
this issue in a way that like makes him uniquely equipped to like understand her and like empathize with her like this is the first person that we've seen that has like this shared that shares these experiences in a way that like can allow for like a certain level of empathy um yeah and like there is this is framed against like some of the other relationships that she has with like Bato, for example where like unquestionably like Bato and the major are like closer and like you know have communicated more know each other better like and there's like a degree of affection there whether it's like sexual or you know romantic um i'm not like i i don't care to say um but i think the series is depicting like and honoring that there is like a certain um you know experiential knowledge that like in 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 relationships like period right like you can yeah. communicate with a partner and like have a close relationship that is founded on communication but like if you have like there's certain experiences that if you only like if that type of experience is something that only you've had like there's an experiential knowledge that you have that your partner would never be able to understand and like seeking out like a relationship to like like a relationship with someone who can who does have the experiential knowledge like in some way like you know is like a profound thing um and i think that's kind of like some of what has happened that's like the baseline (laughs) of like the kuze major stuff and like in addition to that like there is also like i'm thinking to like episode 20 where kusanagi is still like brooding and bato is like what's what's going on like you clearly something happened to you when you hacked into kuse's brain and she's like the scope of his delusion got to me um and bato is like what are you what do you mean what's what's the delusion and she's like something like world domination um and that's when you know we go on to like the great man of history stuff um but like the thing about this is kuze like is able to kuze is able to have this delusion because like he is he has this cyber brain in this consciousness that's like remarked on later by Yosuke of like, Oh wow. You must have incredible like mental strength to be able to answer, like connect with 3 million people and like lead 3 million people. Like your like force of will or something about you. Like you have this greater capability uh, to like, you know, do this thing with your cyber brain. Like there's some sort of like, uh, obviously, you know, uh, power that Kuze has um, in addition to being like, you know, this physical, you know, he jumps like 10 miles because he has like a super badass cyborg body. Um, he's like an individual who is like powerful beyond almost to like the point of being a demigod 
like powerful beyond like other human beings yeah and therefore able to like do like these like nigh godlike feats and kusanagi is also <laughs> one of these people who like has the exact same like capabilities um and like has to exist like within you know in relation to other people who don't um and i think like what happens in this in this exchange in episode 20 is like on some level kusanagi's taken in by kuzei's delusion um because it's like a glimpse at a possibility for her like to you know kusanagi could probably like you know do a lot more shit if she had a mind to like you know control like governments or hack this or hack that like there aren't really many like limits that we've seen on her um so this like delusions of grandeur like it is a reflection of you know like her her own capability um and what that means uh and i think this is getting at like one of the things that second gig seems to be interested in is like kusanagi struggling with like being like this it like her experiences as a being who is like obviously human but also in some ways like like something beyond human or like not or like on the border of like humanity because she has these like godlike powers and there's like this alienation that we've seen like um played at like throughout season one and then also this season like this possibility of like disconnection um that like she struggles with i think um given like you know all, all of these other um like given this reality uh, and then the moral implications of this. Um, so I think this is just like yet another layer where like she identifies with Kuze as someone who like, like yet in, in this way as well, he is someone who like is uniquely equipped to like yeah. understand her and like for her to like identify with. Yeah. Um, I The thing with all of this is that like, this is the stuff that I wish was in the show more. But like, <laughs> Fair all, enough. All, yeah. all of that stuff is stuff that I agree with. And when I say that I wish that the show was more intentionally pulling from like stuff that we see in, you know, 1995 Ghost in a Shell, among other things, it is specifically like, yes, there are all these really interesting things where I can do the, I can see how, okay, there's stuff going on with Kuze that's also related to the major and here's how I'm like understanding it and everything. And I can see all of that and I can come to this version that like feels good, but I feel like so much of the show is, is more interested in showing you here's the folding the crane that shows that the connection is not all of this other stuff that you're talking about, but simply having been transferred into a body at a very young age, which then becomes tied in with virginity, um, which then be becomes tied into like this sexless sexuality that the, the major is meant to embody. Um, like what the show is focusing on 
even as all this other stuff is like subtext or or is underlying things or things that you can pull into it being like familiar with ghost in the shell various properties the thing that the show wants to continue to show you is the folding of the crane a representation of the cranes that he folded so that like for the girl that he thought was dead but actually she was in the cyborg body and then he got a cyborg body and like found her body whatever you know yeah this like this like childhood romance part and this childhood romance being specifically around just like this idea of like childhood cyberization and that idea becoming i think specifically textually tied with ideas of virginity in the show and with the way that the like show treats virginity is all stuff that it is it seems more interested in talking about than actually having characters talk about these things actually having a moment where the major and Kusanagi have a conversation about like Kuze or yeah. Yeah. Kuze where where Kusanagi and Kuze have like a conversation around like all these other interesting things that you're talking about. Um, Yeah. That, that is, this is where the show fails for me is because I think all of that stuff is there. And yet I, I almost, and this is like a level of like reading into like, I, I I will avoid, I guess, the like the creators. I think that the show itself suggests a misunderstanding of the major where all that stuff is present. And yet rather than exploring that, it explores this like constructed childhood and like ideas of that constructed childhood and ideas of virginity. And it does not explore those things in interesting ways. It just brings them in as like this like ham fisted attempt to look at femininity in a way that's like you know, 1995 Ghost in the Shell is doing interesting things with like femininity and gender. And this is like, oh, she remembers the the boy that she knew when she was a child and thinks about like moving to the new body and, you know, this like crush that she may have had or whatever. And then it like makes her screw up on her job because now she's like biting her thumb, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. there, there's like so much of the imagery around it that it is like playing in this, like almost like weak women trope or something. Um, and it either like doesn't explore that or subvert it enough in a way where I, I feel like it's actually like justified in using those things. Also, I've lost so much goodwill in the show because of the chai stuff. Um, and then, and so then it makes me feel like, well, if you just weren't doing this stuff or you were just like doing something more interesting with the stuff, then all the stuff that you're talking about would actually be more present in the show rather than things that I think about as being like, oh, this part is like interesting or cool about the show. But it, like, I just, I need a little, I don't need all of it. The first season of Ghost in the Shell is very good at gesturing at things and, but enough that it like pulls out and you get all of those themes. And I feel like this just needs to like do a little bit more work to like elevate some of it into like the text, I guess. But I feel like a lot of this stuff is, like, at play, but is not, like, being presented in the actual text of these final episodes, like, in a a more, like, concrete and interesting way, I guess. Yeah, I think the, what, what complicates it for me, and, like, I mean, you're right in everything you say. Um, I think, like, for me, I think this stuff is, like, present enough to say, okay, that's there. Um, but at the same time, like what ends up happening is like the show then is like, okay, but then how does this relationship, like what form does this take? 
And then it's like, oh, well, it's this form of like this romance with like this, you know, these concepts and rhetoric of like, oh, the childhood, like romance, the boy that she had a crush on, like, you know, oh, she's like biting her thumb because she's like, you know, swooning. And like, I think that the show is like offering this as like, here's like the grounding for like why this relationship is significant for like Kusanagi. But then it gets like overlaid with like, like, cause all of that stuff could exist without like, oh, the boyhood crush, right? I mean, it could be like a platonic, like, or, or, you know, a different type of romance, like you suggested earlier, like, and still work. Um, and it would work better. Um, but it's like, but yet they like, you know, mix it up with all of this, like other, they've like, the show imagines like this relationship as this thing that is like, I agree, like dissonant, um, yeah. with like what we've seen from Kusanagi and then also like, you know, problematic in these other ways well and it's also the thing like we talked about with proto of like some of that stuff gets brought in but not in a way where um i feel like it's giving it the actual time to explore this these other like forms of connection that the major and kuze have um it, it does it like there's a part of me that's like I wish that this was longer and things got more space, but I don't know if that's actually mm. true because I don't know if at this point I what, like what would happen in that. I space. trust the show. <laughs> yeah. I trust the showrunners to actually use that adequately. Right. Yeah. But there's a part of me that like, I, I, I sometimes talk about this, like how, how good things be different. Cause I think it is a way to sometimes illustrate like things that I'm struggling with in a piece. Um, and so, so like, there is the part of like the same part of me that wants Proto to come up earlier and for us to get like an episode talking about what is a bioroid and exploring this and episodes that are going to like complicate that. Like if you are going to bring this concept in, I want there to be more that is like actually exploring the relationship between the major and Kuze in ways that like are digging into these interesting complexities. But what we get an entire episode about exploring the relationship between the, between the major and Kuze is the, grass labyrinth episode right and they never like actually like all of the dis all of the like spaces in the show where like this stuff comes up which again like i'm the one i'm, I'm arguing that for for its presence like all of the spaces like there's no connection like explicit connection around it it's always like like, they never have that conversation where they're like, oh, like, hey, I'm Kuze. Like, I felt this, like, disparity between mind and body because I was cyberized as a child and, like, yada, yada, yada. Like, what, it, like, do you feel that? And then Kusanagi's like, yeah, like, me too. And, like, let's talk about it. Yeah. There's never, it like, that mutual acknowledgement. And instead, it's just, like, sublimated into this, like, oh, we have a crush on each other. Yeah. The biggest thing for me is um, cut the two like most fillery episodes. There's fun stuff in there, but like the the snipers one, um, and the I don't really know if I want to like cut the the um, pause one because there is interesting stuff there. But like mm -hmm. 
mix some of that stuff in with some of the other episodes, like, I don't know, figure it out. But, like, the big thing is, like, I want just a dedicated episode about the stuff with Proto that comes up earlier on, and then we can develop it, like, in the background during other episodes. And then I also wish that there was, a, like, almost an episode situated between um, 25 and 26 where we just kind of get like, like maybe there's a little bit of stuff happening in the background, but so much of it being like, like the, the bulk of the episode just being Kuzang and Kuzanagi together We're talking about this, them trapped. Like we all, it would be almost interesting if they did it like a, um, what do they call them? The like single set, you know, uh, TV show stuff, even though it's a, a anime and they could, obviously animate other stuff but you know like sometimes there'll be a low budget tv show and everything is like set in one room right Mm -hmm. and then like maybe they're trying to get out of the room or it's just like a bunch of conversations but have like something that's like you can almost even have something that is like them trapped in the cave talking about things maybe there's stuff where they're discussing like the major is getting information from the Tachikomas finally or something, you know, like there's like little bits where we're finding stuff out, but like almost everything that they're finding out about stuff that's happening in the background, like that's like continuing to move. is just them like how they can figure it out from within the cave. And they're just like having conversations around it. That would be like, I, I just want something like that, that I can like hold on to and like dig into a little bit more rather than so much of this being like, themes that are being brought up and are, are I can tie into all of these things, but never get like this dedicated space to like breathe and be developed and, and like really get talked about as like, this is like the heart of this relationship that they have. And like, what is interesting. Um, and it can, it can be more than just like having a conversation where they're just like, Oh yeah, me too. Like there are ways that you can write that and make it really compelling dialogue, you know? Right. Right. Um, I am not Absolutely. a show writer. Um, but yeah. And again, it's like, I don't want to do too much of like, oh, this is here. I, this is how I would just like completely redo the show. But, um, right. it, it, it's me trying to get at like what is going on here, which is that there are all of these pieces and I'm excited about them and they're, they're interesting. And I, I just, I feel like stuff does not like get explored in the way that I want it to. And in a way where what then does get developed or what does get more screen time often feels like this, like less interesting and kind of grosser, more misogynist, like idea of romance and sex and virginity and everything. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's valid uh, imagining different ways that like something could be written is like definitely a useful and valid, uh, <laughs> like method of, of drawing out like what is there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I guess the big thing is sometimes there's ones where I listen to people who are just like, well, here's how I would do the, like every single episode is just like, here's how I would change everything. And sometimes I'm like, I yeah. want to deal with the, like the and actual like, text no, and think about the actual text <laughs> and what's the actual text doing. But then there are just moments where I'm like, okay, if I can like express it as if it was like this, it would be succeeding more. It can like help me get at what I feel like is lacking or what I feel like is like, not connecting in the 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 text as it currently stands so for sure yeah as a path back to like yeah the text yeah Yeah. um absolutely the the virginity thing like this is another one where like i mean you've already covered a, a lot about it um i 
this is another one where it feels like the proto thing where it's just like thrown out there and then never elaborated, mm-hmm. like never followed up. And yeah. like, th- go ahead. Yeah. I would be, I'd be more interested if there's like an actual exploration of like, how, how does this idea of like virginity tie to like something that you can make a virus around? Like, is it in fact like not a physical state of the body, but is like a, a social construct, but it is like whether or not one conceives of themselves as a virgin or something like there are ways that you could like explore it and develop it and use it as a thing to like talk about virginity, but instead it gets brought in as, Oh, the matrix a virgin. Cause she got a body when she was really young. And that means that she didn't have sex despite the fact that like, that's a very limited perspective of sex. But I think this show kind of just like, almost expects that 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 like presumes that that view Um, i mean there there is like there is stuff where it's like okay well it's goda right it's coming from goda and like what does it mean that this like comes from goda um and how like is it potentially like critically positioned um in like in that context and then also, like, because I think it's, like, I mean, not that this changes, like, the narrow, the implications of, like, the concept of virginity and, like, the, the narrowing of, like, you know, ideas about sexuality. Um, but I think it's, like, a virgin prior to obtaining a prosthetic body. So there is, yeah. like, I, th- I think that's what, it, like, what it is. But then Goda says, oh, well, I am a virgin. Um yeah. So, like, it's complicated a little bit there where, like, you know, I I think there's an openness that, like, okay, well, the major has, like, had sex. Presume, I mean, we haven't seen it literally on screen, but, like, we can presume. Um, And is, like, not a virgin, not a virgin anymore, but, like, you know, because she was, like, a child when... You know, she got her body. She was a virgin prior to like obtaining it. What what that means, I have no fucking idea. Um, like what to make of that? Like all of that, just like establishing this distinction for no reason other than to just say like I still don't know what the fuck like to make of that. Um, because it's then like never elaborated after that. Yeah. Like. Um. So you know, I I think like. But again, like, you know, all of the things that you've brought in are, um, like present there. Um, and we don't have anything to like, to work with to like complicate it. <laughs> yeah. Um, because they're like, what we have is this throwaway line where like, you know, it is Goda who's like obviously the evil sis. And then Bato is like, you're a sick bastard. So, you know. It's like, oh, well, the show, like, thinks this is evil. Well, like, okay, yeah, but, like, (laughs) what, you know, is this, like, real? Like, is this somehow, like, is this the actual mechanism? Like, if so, how does it, like, work? You know, like, and, and so on and so forth. Like, there's just, you know, it's just some shit that got thrown in here that, like, it feels like, you know, uh not super coherent yeah um but yeah anyway sorry that was like i 
while, while you're talking, a thing that I, I also thought of is a lot of, so in that Claire Napier thing that we, we talked about, um, was it last time the chai episode? Um, whenever, oh, yeah. whenever, yeah, I think it was the last episodes. Um, there's that like here, he, there's that part where she's like, here's the, or they, I forget what pronouns. So apologies if I said it wrong. Um, but like, you know, Claire's talking about, um, here's like the charitable read of what's happening here, but then being frustrated that the show is asking that leap of logic. Um, and it's specifically it being around this, like thing that is like dealing with what is potentially the like, um, sexual abuse of like a, uh, an underage boy. Um, and to like, there is this like charitable read that you can do. And that read like has all of this, like, has these ways that become a little bit more interesting. And yet there are still like in doing that charitable read, there are still problems with the read. And then also the fact that the show asks that read of you for you to like, feel good about it is a frustrating thing in and of itself. And that it should just like not present something where you can have this terrible read too, uh, in this, like, especially around content like this. And I think that's also kind of how I feel about this, like virginity stuff of like, there are ways that I can do like what's going on with virginity, what's going on with like major Kusanagi in a relationship with Kuze where I can do all of this stuff, but it involves more of a, like um, more of a like leap for me to pull all of that in and to do the work for the, the like, text itself for me to like actively engage in doing that work to free it from a read that feels far grosser and worse to me. And there's a certain amount of me that like resents that, like, even if that is a good ending read that, that the show like asked that of me around these like specific topics in particular, but it's not something that it's asking of me in general, where I am like trying to puzzle through things and coming to good reads, but that the alternative reads are specifically like sexist and misogynist and like having creepy and weird uh, approaches to like pedophilia in the case of chai and stuff like there, especially with it being around some of these topics, I, I wish that it would like do a, a little bit more of the work so that I don't have to do as much of the work myself to like arrive at a read that feels good when the other read is so easy to do. Yeah. Um, and is like so gross and, and like, um, just like feels like very, like, this is not even what the show or like this, these characters and things are to me. Um, and so yeah. there's a, there's a and part of me that's just like frustrated with that, you know? I, yeah. I think speaking generally, I think there like are instances where like it can be meaningful to have that kind of conundrum in a work yeah where like there are like very like troubling and like messed up like gross like interpretations that like you like have to work through in order to like arrive at another like reading um like I, I, I'm, ju- I'm just saying. Like speaking generally, I think there are instances where it can be like meaningful, um, like to have that exact like type of arrangement because it is that like because it works in that way. Um, you know. With that said, like 
I don't think that's what's happening. Here. Yeah. <laughs> um, like well, there's not nearly enough to be like, Oh, like look at how much like there is here to like, you know, to dig into. And like, this is really um, like, there's a lot of like, you know, layering and density and like content here where the show is like clearly like dealing with this yeah and working through it it's just like again it's so fucking one-liner yeah <laughs> um, and like i think the stuff with chai is like it's the worst I could of be, it for me yet yes but i could also like be more convinced of like okay, like, this is an uncomfortable, like, and, like, messed up, like, problem that the show is presenting, where it's, like, like, A, Claire's reading about, like, oh, states of maturity, and, like, you know, Chai, like, you know, needing to, like, recognize whatever, you know, that he's a child. Yeah. Um, And then, like, coupled with, like, the major, like, her struggles with like the stuff I talked about earlier, like her alienation from like humanity and like human morality and like, you know, being on this borderline of like, you know, inhuman human where it's like, Oh, I have this power to just like manipulate people and like, you know, like control and manipulate people into the ends that like I want. Yeah. And I have like such power that like, I don't, I just do it without even like, you know, like I I do it because I have that power and like without perhaps even like realizing that that is like a problematic and like abusive. Yeah. Um, And like, you know, like, so there I can be like, okay, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, the show is like, giving us some stuff to work with even if like ultimately you know we still arrive at the same conclusion of like this isn't so great um but then like here you just there's nothing (laughs) like you just don't even have like um I, i don't know there's like not yeah nearly enough um um but maybe people will disagree and write into the question bucket yeah um I would be ha- I would be happy to hear like a something to make me re- reconsider. Um, yeah, people or like deepen this portion of the series. Yeah, people can write into ghostdiverspod at gmail dot com if they they have emails, which will be coming up pretty soon. We have one more episode in between now, and when we the um, question bucket episode, but like. At the time that you're hearing this, we'll be recording the question bucket episode in like three weeks. So send in those emails now if you have them. If you have a different read on the ending here, again, I I would also be happy to hear it. And I feel like you've done a a good job making a case for it, Connor. And there's still just like these parts where I get so frustrated (laughs) with it. Uh, I'm also at this point where I'm like, I feel like we've like expressed it. We've come to like somewhat of a, uh, an agreement on it. Um, that there's like a lot going on, but also there's like these ways that it, it feels like almost like structurally flawed in terms of like narrative structure in a way that like yeah. all the stuff that's interesting about it, like structurally does not get like 
presented in ways that would feel as good. Um, and so I'm at the point where I'm like, do you have other stuff you want to talk about? That's just like little nitty gritty stuff in episodes or. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we still haven't even talked about like the end, like, Oh yeah. It's like, and, and yeah. <laughs> um, so I have like some like loose thoughts and again, I don't really think this is a coherent read, but like I have some loose thoughts that I'm just gonna like, like throw out there. Um, one of the things that like is interesting, uh, to me about Second Gate is like, I found myself thinking a lot about, um, a professor I had back in undergrad who, um, studied the, the scholar Grimos. And one thing he would always do is he would like, and I, I'm not like uh, an expert to the extent that I can actually do this reading. So um, I just may just disavow all authority here. Um, but basically, like Grimos had a system of like um, creating like geometric or like spatial um, like mappings of like ideological relationships in like works. Um, embodied by like certain entities or characters in the work. Um, and then to, to just like flesh out and help like, um, work through like the ideological, like, or conceptual like poles that are present in the world of the work and that are like at stake and then their relationships to each other. Um, and as we were going through this, I found myself thinking about these Gramossian diagrams and being like, the one for second gig would be free, would be like incredibly fascinating where we have like, like the evil sis and like Takakura who I think could be paired like roughly, uh, although you could split them. Um, but you know, just for the purposes of this quick analysis, yeah, like sis and Takakura, this like kind of extreme right wing like faction that has these certain goals. Kayabuki, so, like, the lawful government um, that is this kind of, like, also somewhat right-wing, um, but, like, seemingly this more, like, moderate, like, right-wing. Um, you have Section 9, uh, and you have, like, Kuze. Um, and there's probably some others that, like, I'm not considering. Um of, like, these different ideological forces that, like... And then, you know, you can throw in, like, the United States and, like, you know, various other, um, like, aspects of the, uh, you know, characters. Yeah. Um, but, like, it's interesting to think about this in relation to, like... Because the show is doing so much with, like, political philosophy, these ideas of, like authority and nationalism and fascism and democracy um and like governance um and right and like uh you know like oppression and like so on and so forth um and just to like look at the like i would like to just like take stock i'd like to do one of these and then look at the end of the series and take stock and be like 
how the fuck are we supposed to sort out like what we think about these relationships at the end? Um, because like the end of the series is kind of like a reassertion of like, it's like a soft form of like what Goda um, and like Takakura want, right? Which is like Japan becomes remilitarized. Uh, Kayabuki like calls in, reveals that she has like um, been cultivating this like, you know, secret military unit um, calls in this unit to like ward off like the Americans. Um, so you basically end up with like, as opposed to like, um, like Goda's vision for this like remilitarized, like this military state, this fascist Japan that is like a mil- capitalist military industrial complex, like in alliance with the US. Now you have Kaibuki, which is like a right wing remilitarized Japan that is like independent. Um, and then like, you know, versus like Kuze, which is like, uh, you know, refugee liberation, like seemingly like uh, somewhat of like a left wing um, perspective. Yeah, the, the most you- um, explicit tying to like left wing things is comes up in kind of a weird way, which is this like use of base and superstructure when he's talking about like yeah. moving people from the base to the superstructure as like moving to the, the net. Um, but base and superstructure specifically being like these Marxist terms for like the, the like super basic version of this. And we can explore this more if you want, but like the base being like things that are actually tied to like production. Material. Yeah, like material yeah. Production. production. And then superstructure being like these things that are tied to like culture, culture. politics, rules and rituals, um, religion, media, those sorts of things. These things that like you know and then there's this relationship between them or like they they both sort of shape and maintain each other. Um Yeah. And and so in the midst of this then you have section nine. Which is like nominally, or maybe you know, just without qualification, allied with Kaibuki. Um, and we've been talking about like throughout this series um, how one of the like it seems that one of the conflicts or one of the dangers that's presented is like the possibility of you know, whereas in in season one. The threat is Section 9 being, like, dislocated from the government um, and then, like, you know, cut off and then liquidated. Now the threat is, like, becoming absorbed, like, closer and then absorbed um, by the government, losing its, like, independence um, and then just becoming, like, this full-on, like, tool um, of, like, the state. And what seems to happen at the end of the series is exactly that. Um, like the military budget gets passed or whatever. Um, we hear this radio transmission um, or like, you know, someone is telling them like, Oh yeah, the budget that you requested for your unlimited military budget has been approved. And like Kaibuki's in power section nine, like, you know, engineered Kaibuki's like staying in power. Um, so now they're basically like, you know, fully in with the prime minister, um, 
like part of the military, like, a, you know, fully sanctioned, like just this unit that is like, you know, again, like the prime minister's personal like strike squad, which is um, the direction that it's kind of been moving. Um, and there's this um, like, Again, I feel like I'm using this word a lot, but it really um, comes into play a lot. Um, there is this like ambiguity uh, or like ambivalence at the end, where um, you know they're they're leaving the cherry blossoms, um, they're going back to the city, and I think Armaki is like, oh yeah, the country will have more need for us than ever. Um, so here we go. Like Section Nine is now just like it's a return to the beginning, like we had in season one, um, like. They're just going to go back to being the super police and just like doing this oppressive like state shit. Um, yeah, and it's going to be the same old, same old. Um, related to because are you familiar with like a lot of symbolism around the cherry blossom in Japan? Like, it's very significant that it is the cherry blossoms that they're watching and not just that it is like this dreamlike pastoral space. Um, uh, no, no, go like elaborate on it. So I'm, yeah, um, the, this sounds like a key that I'm probably missing. So the, the, like the first thing that's like the most easy to, to immediately jump to for like, let's just do like basic, um, Western understandings of things is that the cherry blossoms bloom for a very limited period of time in spring. And so one, there's just this association with spring, but you know, spring is not just a season. We have all sorts of associations around it of like rebirth renewal. and renewal yeah. and things like that. So that's part of the cherry blossoms. But there's also this like very specific um, Buddhist like idea of the cherry blossom that that's really significant and is also a thing that people will think about a lot while they're watching the cherry blossoms during the like very short period of time where they bloom and then fall from the tree. Which is in their brevity, it, it is a very short like lifespan of the bloom to when it when it falls. Um, there is this like representation of these Buddhist ideas of like the fleeting nature of life that that life is, um, you know, th- there's these like ideas within Buddhism of like sort of life is this like fleeting dream that that we live in, and it, it's like so small right in comparison to 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 all these things and it it is this and like one of part of it is this like focus on like you should be focused on the present you should be focused on like your your current things you should be mindful of like living in the present because it is this like short um span thing and the cherry blossoms remind you of that but it also in its fleetingness it it also is a thing that is like both beautiful and sad and so it gets tied to like the sadness that is inherent in beauty and sometimes also the violence inherent in beauty that you're watching part the most beautiful part of cherry blossoms is not when it is on the tree but it is actually that period where it is falling and there's just mm-hmm. like raining down uh, cherry blossom petals and it, it just like is flying through the air and there's lots of depictions in Japanese culture of like the cherry blossoms falling from the tree and this moment of like the death of the cherry blossom is the most beautiful moment in like the cherry blossom so there's this like the the beauty being tied to death and like this kind of violent thing of like the death of the cherry blossom it's falling from the tree um, and so then it also gets tied into these ideas of like birth and death and then also sort of rebirth because of like spring stuff. So that mm-hmm. stuff's being tied in. And then also it's specifically being 
this is sure no like reading of the stuff that's going on with Kuze. There's also then like, yes, bringing in this like Buddhist imagery of the cherry blossoms falling and how it represents like birth and death. And then how that then, I think it is further situated, like you, you are correct about some of this, like we're returning to the beginning, but I think it is also situating it in like these cycles of life that occur and that like they are going back to the same thing. Kuze has in some ways like moved on in this, like, you know, if we're thinking about the, the series of second gig as an assurer, no, it kind of like he is dead when it begins. And we like re witness his death because he is like a living death throughout it. And we re witness it at the end. And then he moves on to another life. But then there's still this like cycling that's still occurring of the major and these like moments where the series are ending with, um, you know, the movie ends with this like sort of thing with herself and, and, all of that. The first episode or the first season ends with the stuff where she goes to the net to escape dying, but like does get shot in the head and then is alive again. And so yeah. there is like, again, a return to the status quo in the same way that the beginning of the series returned to a status quo, but the major is still like perhaps reflecting on this, like this cycling and this like almost like Buddhist idea of like escaping from the suffering that she is in is my most charitable read of like what's happening here. Right. And um, um, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that in. Um, Cause that's, yeah, I wouldn't, I would have missed that completely. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the last thing I was going to say is um, like to address one of the things that I think we're both interested in um, with the major and with the series, this possibility of like radicalization in her character and yeah. like questioning and breaking away um the fact that like it ends with her um saying maybe and like taking off on a different path um where like the rest of the team goes to like back to the city the symbolic site of like not only their routine and like um you know, their, their standard operating, uh, procedure, uh, and also the seat of government, which they're now like, you know, absorbed into to some degree. Um, like she splits away from that in some form. Right. And like goes off on a different road. Um, so I, I do think that we have to see this as like an opening of some kind, um, where like, you know, whereas in season, the end of season one is like, all right, the gang's back together. <laughs> Let's, uh, you know, and we see, we see them like back together and they're just like, you know, rolling out for their next like operation. Um, here there is a splitting where like she goes off and to like an uncertain future. Um, and so I think there is like an openness that is gesturing at, um, some of these possibilities in, in relation to like, you know, um, I, I think it's fair for us to draw this out, like, you know, probably in relation to like this stuff with Kuze and like his ideas about liberation and like the things that he represents it in those regards. Yeah. Um, 
the the ending here so like when i was talking about these things back when we first did um the first season this like specific coda with the cherry blossoms and everything um and her going her own way was why i i kind of remembered like at the time i was like i think i like second gig more than the first season but i haven't seen it in a while and then i went back and like it is these things it is like like i like this coda of her like going her own way and all of this um that happens at the end um and again it's just like a lot of the stuff leading up to it that like this this points at some of this stuff but then also like not to rehash all that whole conversation we had right but sure. like this would this would hit so much better if that other stuff hit as well happened yeah because it's it is pointing it is like one of the most like the major is like questioning her position and and thinking about like breaking off and you know not soon but at some point we're not going to have as much fun but i i want us to do um ghost in the shell arise and the ghost in the shell the new movie which i know very little about but i i think it actually i forget like where it's placed within the continuity um but then also ghost in the shell sac 2045 which you know is supposed to take place in the year 2045 um Mm -hmm. and is like the future and specifically involves the major no longer being a part of section nine and working like on her own but still doing mercenary work. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, those... That's Yeah, that's one possible, like, follow-up to, to, to this yes. ending. <laughs> yes. Um, and, like, 2045 is a, is a thing that um, a lot of people do not enjoy. And it's one of those things where it's like, the name of the show wasn't Ghost Divers, and we didn't love Ghost in the Shell so much. Like, I would never watch 2045, personally, but since this is like what this podcast is, I feel like at some point we'll have to do it. But like, there's yeah, there's fair. a part of me that is like, we're probably going to do all like uh, visual, like you know, movies and and anime, like TV series and stuff. Ghost in the Shell at some point. That's just except for the, the I don't know. Wait, I was going to do the except for the 2017 one because we've been like joking about that in episodes that are coming up. But you all know now we we did the 2017 yeah, one. Yeah, we, we did it. Yeah. I so what's <laughs> funny about this is like, oh, like you and I talk like off the pod about um, oh, you know, like it'll be interesting to see like what it's like when Ghost Divers does X. Like mm-hmm. you know, we we're talking about like Nana and like oh, what about when you know. When we do a romance, um, yeah. what, what's that going to be like? And I'm like, the one of those where I'm like, I actually have no idea what's going to happen is when like we arrive at something where we're like, we both hate this. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't want to do like, we're just doing something that like we know we're going to hate. Um, and the thing with 2045 is I think it's just the one where like, maybe we will hate it, but I still think like, we love ghost in the shell enough that there's like still a conversation to be had. It's not like we're just like watching some like completely shit anime that we we don't care about and we hate. And we're just like taking the piss out of it. I think we'll still have interesting things to talk about, about why we are grading against a show. Um, And who knows, maybe we'll end up being against everyone and liking 2045. I don't think that's going to happen based on how people talk (laughs) about it, but like, who knows? Um, Yeah. Um, no, we're never gonna, even if it's something that we both hated, like, it would be like, I, I, ho- I hope 
this might sound really funny later when we do <laughs> Ghost in a Shell 2045, um, but I hope it's not just us, like, absolutely just shitting on it the entire time. Yeah. Like, I hope we're productively able, like, talking about it in terms of, like, <laughs> this is what is, you know, we think is happening. Yeah. And then, like, editorializing on, uh, or, like, opining on, like, oh, yeah, also, this is why I don't like it, because... <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't want it to do this. <laughs> and I, I think we will be able to have that conversation. And I think it's specifically being Ghost in the Shells, the thing that will enable us to, like, have productive conversations around, like, what is Ghost in the Shell and how does this fit into it? Even if we don't like it, you know? Yeah. Um. And yeah, I'm, a, I'm excited for when we do Nana, since you did mention it. Because um, it is just straight romance. And it's the kind of thing where, like... I want to do it on a podcast and I want to talk about how it's like constructing things and how I think it's like a really exceptional romance anime. Um, but it is a thing too, where like part of me is like, man, I don't know if I'm going to talk about that. I'm just be like, yeah, man really hits for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's um, like, uh, you know, if we got through, Ra- if we got through rare, you'll, you'll get through this one. Yeah. The, the big thing for Nana, I'm just going to do a little Nana digression here. Um, is I just like I may have said this already. I encourage everyone to at least read the first volume of the manga. Um and there are parts in that where like one there's a an interesting reliance um of like people wear like fashion and those like outfits knowing that it is the same outfit and seeing it like throughout time allows it to like get disjunct disjointed with how it's like handling time but where you can then like ground when things are happening based on outfits that people are wearing so if you're not cued in on the fashion of the characters um some of it might be more confusing than it is if you're just like oh yeah she's wearing that sweater again that means that it's like this period i'll be fine i got this um but i think it's really masterful about how it does that to be able to like tell stories in the way that people often talk about their memories but then still be able to like help you ground with like where where those memories are situated in time um the other thing that i think is is great about it and this is where it just like absolutely hits for me is that i just love romance manga stuff where uh people will just like sit around and have like in-depth conversations about their trauma and then at like some point it just slips into them having sex and then they just like go back to like talking some more um that's just like that's the stuff for me (laughs) um and nana's not like explicit about it but there are sex scenes in that first volume of the manga um because that's the other thing that's great about it is that it's about like 20 somethings and so it's not this like faux entering into young adulthood that a lot of stuff around like high schoolers are it is like the actual like everything that we've covered in ghost Stars. yeah it, it is the actual like having to become an adult and that adult means like you have your own apartment you are like getting a job um you are having relationships and these relationships are not like you know episodes of build up before like the characters kiss or something it's like no like you just see like early on in relationships people have sex because they're adults like (laughs) the the tension is not around like the sex itself but it is around like the actual things that there's substantive things about like relationships that you have as an adult with other people um it just like hits so much more as like actual romance that like you have as an adult to me than a lot of other stuff that i've read and a lot of it is just because like the mangaka writes stuff directed at adult women so 
um, it's great though. God, I love Nana so much. I'm just fully Nana <laughs> brain right now. I hope I hope you're um, because I mean it's probably gonna be a little while before we do it. So I hope that like you're just as enthusiastic to come back to it. Yeah, like later, or you just continue to be like fully on it for however I... many months. Until we like until we get there on Ghost Drivers. Um, multiple Twitter accounts right now that I have are Nana themed because I'm just yeah Nana brain. Right but now. also we're like we're talking about like a year out. And I know. Straight. I'm just I'm just saying like me falling back in love with Nana because I I used to read um, Nana in Shoujo B. Like, my family would go to the mall, and my mom would take forever going to, like, different clothes stores, and my dad would be, like, usually perusing various things, like bookstores and things. Um, Auntie Anne's. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And what I would usually do is I would just, like, hole up in uh, Borders, um, because usually my dad was in Barnes & Noble, too, so it gave me, like, a little extra privacy. Um, but also they just had a better manga section, but what I would do is I would take shoujo beat off the rack and I would just sit in the chairs that were in there and I would just like read chapters of Nana. Um, but I wasn't reading the very beginning. So like I'm reading stuff right now that I hadn't read before. Um, and also I wasn't like necessarily reading every single chapter that came out because it was just like when I would be like, oh yeah, I'm going to go check that out. Is there a new one? Uh, I also wouldn't always finish it because sometimes it'd be like, oh, I need to go. Um, but anyway, I'm now returning to it. And it's like, it's like when I returned to Ray Earth because I read some of the manga as a kid and then felt shameful about it. And then I came out as trans. And I one of the first things I did was like, well, I'm going to watch all of Ray Earth now. <laughs> um, and it's that level of like, I'm just like reading and watching it and being like, this is my shit this is it (laughs) yeah that sounds wonderful Um, it's actually it's actually bizarre to read it and be like oh this is just like my taste in romance stories and i didn't even realize that it was formulated like sitting in a borders reading shoujo beat i didn't realize that's when it (laughs) formulated in my head um but it did (laughs) yeah that's always um an interesting uh road to go down to be like oh what's what are my ideas of like romance and like what turns me on and then being able to like trace it back at least partially to like you know like this moment or this like media yeah um um also i've been because i'm hoping that that more people will like read nana stuff um and so i've been like saving this little bit but I'm definitely a Nana X Hachi shipper. Um, and if people don't know what that means, you should read Nana and get to the part where you figure out what the name Hachi means. I mean, we can just, we can move it up in the schedule. No, I still <laughs> want to do it where it is, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's a standing offer. Um, I'll, I'll let it be known to our listeners that which is you still have to do something else and then I will do Nana okay well um, like I said it's it's just, you know it's open for me yeah we can move it um do you have any other thoughts 
I mean, I'm sure like there are other thoughts. Like there's yeah. a whole like frankly, we talked about probably like five percent or ten percent of what we could talk about because there's so much shit going on in yes. these last like seven episodes. Um but the question now becomes like how much do we want to talk about? Yeah. Um, the other thing too is like, I, I brought it up because I think it is important. And like an important note. I thought maybe you would have thoughts that you want to talk about, but also like um, the great Gundam project watched a uh, second gig alongside um, trying to remember which, which Gundam it was. I think it, it was the one before they did, uh, or maybe it was when they were doing turn A. I forget if it's when they did turn A or the one before they did turn A. Um, okay. But it was the season. It was a season where um, Austin Walker was like guesting for the entire season as well. Um, and Austin like really goes in about the stuff that, and like kind of criticizing some of the way that it's handling concepts of like base and, and superstructure or the way that like Kuze seems to be like talking about them and applying them. Uh, um, but that that's all, you know, Austin Walker is like uh, someone who like has read a lot of Marxist theory. Um, and so part of me is like, eh, people listening to this have probably listened to Great Gundam Project. Like, if not, people can try and find that episode where they, they watch these final episodes and go in on it. They were overall like even less hot on the series than i am but um yeah um yeah i think i'm not i i honestly don't really want to talk about um like second gig with respect to like the framing of like some of these like like some of this marxist terminology and it's like fidelity to like what we think, like, you know, the, like, right interpretation of Marx is. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure, like, Austin Walker did, a, like, a, an excellent job that is better than I could do. Um, so there's no point in that, and I don't want to anyway. Yeah. Um, I think there is a lot of stuff, like, around political philosophy. Um, there is some, like very complex like um like webs of themes and like treatments of um like political ideas um as we've like talked about in our prior episodes um again around like authority and right and like governance um like you know individuals and collectives um like nationalism um internationalism <laughs> um you know like i war like what it means like what it means to be a soldier like the purpose of war like conflict yeah like all of these things are like you could do extensive analyses of like all of these um like thematic relationships and the show would like support an extended analysis. 
Yeah. Um, one one thing now that I'm thinking about like the GGP stuff that I just want to kind of bring up that w- when I first listened to that, I agree with them more. And I think here I've come to like a more complex thought on it, which is um, they're, you know, the time that I watched it right after we watched the first season. And then this also com- kind of comes up on the GGP stuff um, is like there's the ways that they're talking about the computer virus and how it's like functioning like ideology that at the time I was just like, you don't need a computer virus to like spread ideology. Like it happens without a virus. And like, part of me was like frustrated with the way that like so much of the way that people were, were discussing it felt like it was like, Oh, they're like converting people to an ideology through this like virus. And it's just like, no, like people have like governments have ways of spreading ideology already. Right. Watching it this time, I think I came to like a, a a different read on it where I think it is about Goda trying to say, trying to basically do this experiment of like, instead of the like other ways that we construct ideology, what if I can just create a virus that will spread ideology? What if I can right. like simplify it down to just a computer virus? Um. And so I think some, I think some of the, the stuff, like, I think I'm also with that in mind, some of the stuff with base and superstructure, I can read a little bit more in terms of like, okay, there's also ways that like, they're talking about how does this stuff change as like, there's further integration with the net. Um, What is the threat of like cyber brains where you could make ideology, not just something that is like spread culturally, but it is like literally spread as a computer virus from brain to brain Um, that it like becomes more mechanized and like easier to implement like that. Um, I think there's still like some tensions around like, you know, broader political theory about ideology and how it functions in society. Um, but but I do think that the show is a little bit more aware of like, no, this is specifically about like an individual who kind of has a, you know, big ego and like believes. A very certain yeah, view. An, yeah, yeah, a very specific view being like, well, I bet I can just make a virus that will spread ideology. Like, why do we have right. to do all of this other stuff? I can just do it as a virus. Um, and that that also like made me a little bit warmer on this show than the the previous time that I watched it. And also when I listened to GGP and I was like, yeah, fuck this show. <laughs> I would I would be um, and maybe I should listen to like that episode of or those episodes of GGP. Yeah. Um, I think from where I stand right now, um, I it would probably take a little bit of convincing for someone to argue to me like oh this is what this series is saying about like this is how ideology works like i think this series is very open-ended and again like uh presents a critical examination of like these various formulations of ideology um there's a way that like as the characters struggle to understand and then articulate like varying theories and like uh, explanations for like how ideology works and is working. Yeah. Um, like that, those competing viewpoints and then the, like in relation to the events of the show that are like alternately proving and disproving at ter- various turns, um, or seeming to prove and disprove. Um, 
like I think what ends up happening is it it becomes uh very like I don't think it is cleanly resolved. Um I think it asks a lot of like pr- like um incisive questions and challenges a lot of these viewpoints. Um like for example, we talked about um I mean, just to take the example that you cited, like Goda has this mechanistic view of human society, which he articulates um, in like um, in this in these episodes where he's basically like, um, oh, yeah, human society is just like it's like a program, basically, that I can just like uh, manipulate um Oh, like, uh, those who have power have programmed things like myths or legends, um, over history. Like, this is his understanding of history that, like, you know, it is like a unilateral, like, top down, like, mechanistic model, um, that is centered on, like, um, the flow of information and, uh, you know, like, ideology working in this like specific way um but like that is not like that is challenged in that moment (laughs) um and then like by everything else that takes place in the show um there's stuff around like kuzey where like the show is dealing with these ideas of like authority and leadership and like uh, specifically, like, you know, seemingly engaging with the idea of, like, charismatic authority. Um, and then at one turn, it is saying, oh, well, you know, it's this unilateral, like, model where Kuze is this master cyberbrain, and, like, they're all, it's a, you know, one sided. Like, the refugees can connect to his brain and, like, um, you know, gain, get, like, an imprint from it and gain information from it, but they can't access his brain to like the degree that they're influencing it. Um, and this is kind of like the working theory for up until like more or less the end. Um, and then like that's completely upended, um, where Kuzde like, uh, starts to like reveal, um, that like, no, like the refugees have shaped me. Um, there's like a mutuality in this relationship, or maybe it's one-sided in the opposite direction. Like I am like created by um, and shaped by like this collective desire um, informed by this. And like, you know, at first it's one and then it's the second and then it's the third. And then like at the end, it's not resolved, right? Like it's, you know, these things are like um, critically evaluated one after the other. And then seemingly like, um left open um yeah and then you've highlighted one of the things i threw in my notes which is another um like thing that uh i think is um the series is like heavily interrogating um around this stuff about fascism which is like you know uh vergangenheit's bewältigung uh like you know how like how legacies of fascism and like um 
like the ideological like apparatus of fascism like reproduces itself or doesn't <laughs> um yeah and like this is all you know hugely significant um dealing with the history of japanese fascism um and like gota again being like a manifest like a, you know a fascist in essence yeah um I think, you know, there's stuff about like refugees and nationalism and self-determination. Um, like the, you know, in episode 25, I had a note where, um, you know, the bridge to Dojima becomes this like symbolic, symbolically charged, um, object where like, you know, Dojima is the refugee like breakaway state or trying to become. Um, it's also the, the space, like spatially, where the refugees have been first, like forced into, um, and then like gathered, um, like semi voluntarily as like a self deterministic action and a revolutionary action. Um, but like the bridge gets blown up. Um, so they become physically disconnected between like Japan, um, and Dejima. And, like, you know, they're becoming their own state. It's this, like, nationalist thing. Um, but then the bridge also becomes, like, the site of potential redemption, where, like, the plutonium has to get back to um, to prevent war. Um, so, like, is this, you know, is the series saying that, like, the this disconnection and, like, the conflict that follows from it, like, is this the crisis? Like that the refugees have been displaced and like, um, you know, uh, like, uh, forced out of like Japanese society. Um, or is it like anti-assimilationist, like pro-nationalist, like the refugees should have their own state. Um, like, I don't think you can say, (laughs) um, it's like framing these, these questions and interrogating them. Um, and, you know, I don't think, uh, like, frankly, I'm not confident enough to be like, here is my, um, like firm, this is my unified, like interpretation of like how all of this adds up. And, well, this is what the series says. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's like playing with these things and like asking questions that are substantive um, and are like leading in certain directions. Um, I obviously think it's very like um, critical of like fascism, um, and I think it has like um, is like critical of nationalism as something that is um, on this axis of like um, as this ambiguous like entity that is like liberatory but also like exclusionary and like you know some like in some way uh imbricated with like both of these possibilities of like fascism and liberation yeah um but like uh, so i do think it has substance it's not just like saying nothing um but it's also not like oh this is like you know um like saying that the refugees should just assimilate or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Um, so anyway, that was a long rant. Like, I think I, without actually saying much about what's actually happening, like, I think I've covered, I think that's an accurate representation of my thoughts about, like, if I have to tie together or summarize, like, some of this stuff, because there's just way too much stuff going on to do, like, to do justice to. Yeah. Um, are we done here then? I think so. Sorry, that was a long rant. I kind of just like lost all sense of time. Yeah. Um I do also have to go to the bathroom. So this will be good time to wrap. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Um next time we will not be watching these episodes that I put in here. We'll be watching Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex uh Solid State Society, the the OVA movie. Um, you could write. We're not watching episodes twenty through twenty six. No, we're not watching them again. Um, you can write into okay. ghostdiverspod at gmail dot com. Um, go to exportodd.io to support the network. Uh, if you go there and give just one dollar, you'll get access to um, a number of podcast episodes early. Not this podcast normally, but uh, ornate stairwells. You will, which is my podcast that I do with my co-host autumn, where we watch movies and talk about it. And you may remember a crossover episode a little while ago that uh, was in your feed. Um, you can follow us at ghost divers pod. You can follow me at Fox mom, Nia. Where can people follow you? Uh, y'all can follow me at Rabelais or A-B-B-L-E-A-I-S. Um, and you can also follow me at media underscore pile. And I'm going to, I'm going to go to the bathroom. So bye. Bye everyone. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening.
Also recording. Um, sure, we can we can do that up front. Uh, let me get time dot is open. Also, I'm I'm getting open the the notes document because that closed when I restarted my computer. Mm. I didn't think about that until just now. I'm just gonna look at our. I'm gonna pull up the Discord um, DM and just look at our uh, art as we yeah. talk. Um, when I do the clap, yeah. Um, let's just do it at I don't know 43. 43? And just it, there's a just you know, don't, don't question it. You know, I just have a gut feeling about, about 43. I think that's where we need to, to clap. Okay, see, it worked, yeah. We were both able um, to clap successfully. Now that we've done our, our clap, uh, time for me to do a little, both a drink check and a, a mukbang section. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> Good. 
So, um, today, so Emily's mom is currently visiting for this weekend. Um, and so since, uh, she was here and was able to watch, uh, my toddler Q, um, who, who's, you know, we've, we've been doing potty training is doing pretty good with the potty, uh, just upgraded to like forward facing, uh, car seat and also, um, today got like bars taken off the crib big kid bed now you can get in and out of it yourself Freedom. um but um during nap time since um emily's mom was here and she could watch um emily and me and then we also picked up autumn because they've been like wanting to get into japanese cooking um but going to Mitsuwa without like really knowing what you're going to get and it like exactly where stuff is is extremely intimidating because one that place is always like packed mm-hmm. and two like if you don't know where you want to go a lot of stuff is like hard it's not like going into like an American supermarket where everything's written in English and is very easy for you to read if you don't read Japanese it's like stuff is in Japanese and if you look closely at like the little bars at the bottom you know that have the price it will say sometimes have it's this ingredient or something yeah um and so that that can also just be intimidating because it's like it takes far longer to like look through and find what you need if you're not with someone who can like read enough and is also just familiar enough with these ingredients to be like oh yeah like Mirren is over here this is what Mirren looks like um so they came along too and we went and we were just like shopping around a little bit. Um, and then, uh, autumn and I were like, we're going to go into Kinokuniya, which is the, the bookstore that's in the supermarket, uh, Mitsua, um, just to like, not really to like buy anything, but just to like look at manga and just like talk about manga. And, you know, they have like a little gunpla section and I went and looked and there was the Ava unit zero with the positron rifle that mm-hmm. I really wanted, but I was very good and brave and did not buy it. Um, I was extremely wow. tempted though. Um, it that, was, that took a lot. Yeah. It took a lot of willpower. People should, <laughs> should praise me. Um, I'm still probably going to get it for like my birthday or something. Cause uh-huh. I want to, I want to have like one of those real grade Ava's. Um, and even though I think like the design of unit one is better, um, I like Ray a lot. And so I just want unit zero and the one with the positron rifle is fun because it's like basically the same price as the unit zero but you also get to build the positron rifle so um and that's one of my favorite episodes for just like monster of the week style stuff yeah um yeah that's a cool episode yeah um but i didn't get it then i did get some some chopsticks that have uh gg from kiki's delivery service and totoro from obviously my neighbor totoro uh, just because i've been needing some new chopsticks but mostly we were just like buying food because that's usually what i do when i go to mitsua um anyway emily didn't want to go in and look at a bunch of manga and stuff um and so she went to meyer to do a little bit more shopping um and while she was there she saw um, Coca-Cola Starlight oh Limited Edition. Yeah. Do you, do you know about this? I've seen shit about this. Yeah, so, so. Um, I didn't... I had, like, never n- knew about this before until I was literally, like, unloading our trunk. Um, and I walked into the house and I said, Hey, babe, what the fuck is space flavor? Because it says space flavored on it. Yeah, it's the Coca-Cola Elon Musk crossover. 
Wait, is this actually Elon Musk? No. <laughs> oh, oh, good. Throw it out of be, your house yeah. immediately. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, chuck it into a wall. Um, so I'm going to drink this. I have no idea what space flavor is. So okay. you all, I'm sure by the time that you're hearing this, because this is months later when you're hearing this, um, you've all already, like, space flavor is just like what we all consume all the time now. Right. Um, but I... At the time that I'm drinking this, I think I'm on the cutting edge of flavor. So, let's. I'll I'll let you think that. Yeah, let me let me get the <laughs> get the that crack of the can there. Mm-hmm. Um, get a smell. It, it kind of just smells like Coke. Mm-hmm. That's that's surprising. Have you had this yet, Connor? No, I haven't. I've just seen again. I've just seen their like sh- shit about it. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a sip. Did they just sell me cherry coke in a fun can? Yes. What the fuck? Does the does the does the carbonation feel like tiny little supernovas all over your tongue? Is it truly no. like the experience? Is no. it transporting you at light speed through past planets and other astral is, formations. Seriously, is this just cherry vanilla Coke? Is Are you asking, is it just a, a marketing gimmick to make you buy Coke? But like, no, I'm asking like, is this literally just cherry vanilla Coke? They'll never tell you, but yeah, probably. There's definitely... It's been a while since I've had cherry vanilla Coke. Again, I normally drink Dr. Pepper. Um, and if I want something that's going to have a little bit of that, like vanilla, there's the Dr. Pepper, like vanilla or whatever. Um, so it's been a while since I've had cherry vanilla Coke. It's, it's maybe like a little bit more berry than just cherry. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure about that. Maybe I'm just like trying to hunt for something that's different than cherry vanilla Coke. It's got like probably like a, a mist of some, like some other shit in there. They just like spray a little mist on the vat before they bottle it up. Um, just like they want, that's what, that's the reaction they want. They want you to like, yeah. they made the smallest change so that you can be like, wait, but it is different. I have to buy more and drink more of it. The other thing I wonder, and again, it's been a while since I've had cherry vanilla Coke, but I, I, as I drink it, I get more of the vanilla and less of the cherry, like the more I drink it. So I wonder if it's a little bit stronger on the vanilla or something. I can't hmm. believe that space flavor is just cherry vanilla Coke. We've had this for a long time. How old is cherry vanilla Coke? Let me. Oh yeah, I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't tell you. Cherry vanilla Coke at was least, at least like half as old as space. In what year? Um, it was introduced in 2006 and then discontinued in 2007. Wait, cherry vanilla Coke doesn't exist anymore. This is definitely that's, just cherry vanilla Coke. Yeah. That's some that's like a major Mandela effect right there. That cherry vanilla Coke is like discontinued. Yeah. I feel like that's I mean, like I feel like we just realized that we're all actually dead right now. I mean I I know that I've had cherry vanilla Coke. I just didn't realize it was such a limited run. But that makes it, like, extra makes sense that they just took a flavor that they had, like, 15 to 16 years ago. I feel Um, like I've seen Cherry Vanilla Coke since then, though. That's the weird thing. mm Mm-hmm. 
Me too. Um, I guess Coca-Cola Vanilla. So, if you just Google, like, Coca- Starlight Coke flavor, it says... <sighs> Let's see. It says space? No, that's that's what Coke says. That's what Coke wants you to think. Um, the, the first Food Network says it tastes like minty cotton candy sprinkled with vanilla. I'm I'm not getting the mint. Mm. I mean, cotton candy it's it's is sugar. There's right, sugar like in it. Literally just pure sugar. Um and food coloring or whatever. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, I, I I support you doing the mukbang, but I I got to say I am a little like I feel a little sad that we've been like sucked into Coca-Cola's marketing campaign. Well, like Ghost Divers is now like part of like the like hey, oh well, what is no, the stop. flavor like stop. Stop. <laughs> Everyone listening to this, do not get Starlight Limited Edition Coca-Cola space flavored. Um I'm going to say this on like every subsequent um episode. Uh like I'm going to do it for all of Bacano. I'm just going to say it. But people at Coca-Cola, if you want me to stop saying that, you can pay me. I I will yeah. stop saying it if they pay me. I will once again shill for Starlight Limited Edition Coca-Cola Space Flavored. Yeah, you, and you also have to tell us what the flavor is. Like, you have to confirm it. And yeah. then... It, we, we'll, we'll sign NDA about what the flavor is, but like so, I want to know before we shill for you. Uh, I have another beverage here. But um, you, c- I'm going to check in with your drink check first, and then I can do my bit. Because I've talked for a while about this disappointing Coke flavor. Yeah. Are you sure you're not getting paid by Coke already? Um, <laughs> under the... Uh, no, I mean, obviously not, because you wouldn't, you wouldn't have, you know... You wouldn't discourage our listeners if, if, you, were, if you were getting paid. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I've got some, uh, I've got a couple things here. None of them very interesting. Um, I have some filtered water. Um, I used a Brita to filter it. Um, but it originally it came from my sink. Um, um, and then right before that, it came from space. Um, from, you know, uh, the, the origin, the origins of all matter. Um, yeah. Uh, so it, it tastes like space a little bit. Yeah. I think, each, I think the Brita got most of that. Each sip has a little bit of stardust in it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, again, I think Brita got a lot of that. Um, then I've got some green tea, which also, um, came from space, um, at some point, you know, like probably like 20 years ago or something, um, mm-hmm. when it was fused in, uh, in the core of, uh, you know, supernova, uh, a star supernova-ing, and then ejected yeah. out throughout, uh, you know, the, the chasm of space-time to reach Earth. Um, so, um, yeah, it's it's shitty green tea. It's Kroger brand, um, but it's it's good and warm. And then I've got this, um, like, several weeks old beer, um, so the like, because when this episode's coming out, it it's a little while from now. 
um, so I'm making reference to like the episode I'm making reference to was like a while back, but now it's going to seem like an even longer stretch of time. But when I told the story about the beer guy, um, I think on the question bucket for your tenant, yeah. um, this is the beer that I was drinking from his company. And I've since like, just let it sit in my fridge. Cause a, like, I don't think it's very good. Um, and B like, I'm sure it would just really make him mad. Wait, that you don't think it's good? No, I, I don't think it's good. It must have like something must have happened on the car on the car ride home from the grocery yeah. store. That ten how minutes long out did of the it, fridge. Yeah, how long did it take you? Was it was it is was it really just ten minutes, or did you like walk around the store for a little while too? I, I you know that's a good point. I may have walked around the store a little too long after putting it in the cart. Um, I did like stop and get a couple. A couple other items, so... And then the checkout line was long, so, you know, probably looking at more like 15 minutes out of the fridge. Um, yeah. So that that explains it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, nothing against the, the company. The beer is probably... If you get it, like... If you handle it properly, it's probably just, like, fucking, ins- like, amazingly good. But... yeah. Because I have used it so so badly, it, like it just is not that great. Um, but then the other the other thing that I find funny is just like letting it sit in my fridge for weeks on end, um, and get like steadily worse before I drink it. Um, because I'm sure that would like that would really upset the people who made the beer. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna see you know. I haven't opened it yet. Um, I'm gonna see how the how the conversation goes. And, okay. Um, but yeah, so right now, water, green tea, and then. Um, oh, uh, hold on, hold on. Yeah, hello. Oh. Yeah, sure. I gotta say, I'm drinking more of this Starlight Limited Edition Coca-Cola space flavored available in stores now, and it is delicious. Really? It's yeah. What, what it do you is, think the flavor is? It's really grown on me. I mean, it's there's so much going on with it. Um, there's like this little bit of like a creamy quality. Uh, the there's this like pleasant sweetness, you know. Would you say would you say it's almost like indescribable and it has to be tasted to be like yes. believed? Yeah. Like the only way that I could describe this is by calling it space. This is what yeah. space would taste like. Like if I were to go out into like in one of great Elon Musk's ships up into the stars. Oh yes. Elon, go out Elon, in my our, yeah. our Lord and Savior. Go out in my spacesuit and then if this was possible and I could I could take off my helmet and stick out my tongue, this yeah. is what it would taste like. Yeah. Before before this uh, flavor like, does your, your not eyes exist on your skull. Until now. This is like that moment before when you take your helmet off in space, before you freeze and your eyes explode simultaneously. That moment yeah. right before that happens where you're just like yeah. experiencing the transcendence of like being in space. Oh wait. Hold hold on. Okay. Oh, that that was too much. People, it it came off as sarcastic. Okay. 
I'll I'll try again. So yeah, I mean, it's not the greatest thing ever, but I really recommend trying it. If yeah, if you, it's really you know. it's just like a casual thing. Like yeah, if just try it if you want, you know. But like, it really is like it's a really unique flavor and you can't really be described. So, you know, if you want to like know what, what it, every, all the hype is about, you should just like, honestly, just like try it yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, um, anyway, make so sure I, I, I interrupted you. Sorry. What were you talking about? Oh, I think I was going to say something about Elon Musk, the benefactor of humanity. Um, but, uh, I, I forgot it now. Uh, okay. Yeah. You want to know the other thing I'm drinking? Yeah, yeah. Wait, I forgot there was another let me, thing. Let me quick send a text. Okay. Okay, they said it is okay if I still talk about this. Um, so anyway, while we were at Mitsuwa, I also uh, went and looked at the beers. Um, and I, I've been drinking beer since before I was legally able to to drink beer in the United States. Um, and I've been drinking Japanese beers since like, I've been legally able to go buy beers and not just like get the, the, um, PBRs because it was just like, I would go in and get them and I could just do my, my thing. And it was just like fast in and out, you know, uh-huh. have my little ID. Like Everything is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have my fake ID, get my PBR, go in, get out, you know, not a lot of browsing, just like, yep, here getting my pbr yeah just um, slam bam thank you man yes you know um but it's, when i could start drinking um i tried different japanese beers and i landed on karen ichiban's my favorite this has come up previously on this podcast um i just want to illustrate the the full like influence that nana has had on my life i was so fucking close to getting asahi today i was extremely close because osaki nana drinks asahi and I was mm. really, really close to getting Asahi. I still got Kirin Ichiban in the end, but uh, I'm still thinking about it. The The big thing was it's a lot harder for me to get Kirin Ichiban um, in the city, but like literally the liquor store that's on my corner has Asahi. So I'm like, I'm just going to get some Asahi later. But yeah, you know, you got to like, it's, it's so important to retain your sense of individuality, you know, even yeah. when you have like strong figures of charismatic authority like nana um encouraging you to you know to do something else encouraging you to like you know like identify and link with with their ideas yeah you you really gotta just like retain your own individuality somehow um so remember go out and try starlight coca-cola yeah so you can form your own individual opinion based on your own experience um, what could speaking, possibly be bad about that? Speaking of uh, individual experiences and relationships to to larger systems, shall we get into the actual stuff that we were? Yeah, what are what are we talking about today? I forgot. Um, well, I need to do the actual like the the intro to this podcast. Right, right, but yeah, but like, but what are we talking about? Uh, I'm still thinking sh- about Starlight Coca Cola. Ghost in the Shell, SAC, second gig, episodes 20 through 26. Oh, yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. That's slightly less interesting than the flavor of, of Starlight Coca-Cola. But yeah, well, we can talk about that for a while, yeah. I guess. 
Um, if people have, because people are listening to this after the end credits, if people enjoyed the conversation that we had about Second Gig, um, they will probably enjoy the great space flavor of Starlight Coca-Cola even more. Um, yeah, I'm very excited to respond to that. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's do a bathroom break first. Okay. Yeah, I could use one. All right, cool. I'll be right back. I'm back. <clears throat> I... Yeah, so am I. Okay. So, um, did I just beat you back? Um, almost. I had just sat down, basically. Um, I took slightly longer because, um, one, I texted M of Abnormal Mapping. Um, or I tweeted at them, actually. Because we're doing... Um, the next stairwells that we're going to record is on the movie Cure. Do you know this movie? It's a... Uh, the one, the hypnotism movie. Yeah, the the Japanese one. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool movie. Yeah, um, we're doing it on stairwell, so like we wanted to have them guest on an episode. Um, and I was like, they they decided that they wanted us to pick one. Um, and then I did like a short list of like what I considered kind of v cinema sicko movies. Um, mm-hmm. and we landed on cure, which I think is like the, the most respectable of the ones that I picked, but, uh, <laughs> is still, it's a thing I'll talk about on that episode, which by now people it's been out, people can go listen to it. But, um, is that like cure is significant because it was made by this director who's like kind of tied to V cinema stuff. And it's one of the big ones that like gave legitimacy to V cinema. Um, cause it, it was a film that came out in theaters, but like. It, along with, like, some of the stuff that Mike was doing and, like, some of these other films was one of the things where, like, people were going to the cinema and then seeing it, but then it was, like, tied to this V-Cinema stuff and it, like, legitimized V-Cinema, you know? Yeah. Um, as, like, a, a thing that people would watch that's not just, like, bad direct-to-video stuff. Yeah, um, no, I mean, I, I enjoyed that movie. But yeah, um, uh, M had tweeted, uh, Cure Ripped, and I said, you're welcome. Because <laughs> I'm a brat. Anyway, and then I talked to um, Emily briefly because she's going to bed right now. Um. Okay. Oh yeah. Are you uh, you 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 ready? Yeah. Let me let me just crack open my second key at I need you, bun. Mm. Got to get that Starlight Coke flavor out of your mouth. Out of your mouth. Uh, I've never. Wait. Let me <laughs> let me double check my text. Yeah. Never. It's so delicious. Mm, yeah. 